This week we watched Heathcliff and the Cadillac Cats, episode 81, uh, Heathcliff Surprise and the Big Break-In. Welcome to Amazingly Terrible, the <laughs> podcast exploring the mysterious beginnings of our adult kinks. I'm Matt. I'm David. And I'm Derek. I'm Adam. This is Mike. I, for one, really like uh, that we're doing this episode. Heathcliff was one, is one of the few cartoons or shows that we're watching and talking about that I vividly remember. And this was like an every week type of thing for me. Once the intro song came on, it just brought back all these warm feelings for me. It, oh wow! It flooded, it flooded back. Yeah. It, it, I just I that love theme the song was car. just it was <laughs> locked away in a corner of my mind that it came flooding back of just the Saturday mornings and and being excited about waking up early to just sit on the couch and do nothing uh, for hours. There's definitely uh, well, first of all, the theme song is very good, even if it, it is, if you yeah. listen to the lyrics, it's mm-hmm. total nonsense, but. Uh, there's definitely a kind of like proto cartoon within this cartoon, uh, an Ur cartoon. Yeah, it's it's, it's got a very uh, Looney Tunes type structure. It it wishes it does. <laughs> it it really wants to. <laughs> yeah. So I'll jump on that bandwagon too. I remember this one. This is one of the ones I I also vividly remember. Um, but in watching this episode, uh, there was a lot of stuff I had forgotten about it too. And I'm I'm in the same boat. I actually had incredibly more fuzzy feelings about this one because um, I, I do remember watching this a lot as a kid and enjoying it um, the one thing that always confused me as a kid was the car in the intro yes I love <laughs> that car I, I love I loved it too and, and I, I still do but the thing that confused me as a kid was it would transform and take off but it when it transformed from like the junk car to like a pretty good car the the hood was still busted it like was popped up and then they dive the car into water and it would transform into like a semi submersible yeah. yeah like a hover car and when it would do that transformation it would be fixed perfectly and as a kid i was always thinking <laughs> it is in a worse situation by being in the water how is it now working perfectly yeah, and, you were like, and, "This is a serious continuity error." Well, it yeah. has to be and watertight. It, that stuck with me when I was when I was uh, like watching it. I was like, "Oh yeah, what the fuck's up with that car?" That is really poor planning on their part because there's no way they can practically turn that into a toy. It's That's, yeah. <laughs> well, you could tu- you could turn it into two toys. Mm. <laughs> That's true. Just have like different uh, different versions of the different stages of transformation of that. You could remove capture. the hood. And then the, that would be... Uh, was this mm. before Transformers? No. Yeah, they, they no. Could get away with it wasn't that before then. Transformers. It wasn't before Garfield. It wasn't before pretty much everything that would uh, you would think was influencing this. Pretty much everything that you would think would influence the show was influencing the show. So, yes, However, somehow it still works. Heathcliff, the comic strip, does predate Garfield. Oh, does it really? Heathcliff the comic strip was invented in 1973. Garfield was invented in 1975, or at least published. 
there's the background information. We so crave. that's a, yes. that's actually gotcha. a good a good segue into one of my notes. What time frame does Heathcliff actually take place in? It, like sometimes it looks like it's in the fifties, but then other times, like when he's when he goes by the freeway, it looks like fairly modern cars uh, for the time, like eighties or whatever. But was was this show intended to take place in like nineteen fifties suburbia? Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts on that. I actually think that the comic strip and, like, a lot of the core of the show takes place in what is called, what would I call it? It's like a cartoon land. And it's really, like, late 1800s, early, like, 1910s, 1920s suburban America. And it's got, like, a lot of barrels. There are barrels around. There are uh, fences, uh wooden fences and the roads are mostly dirt and there's dirt alleys and that's like uh there's a bunch of cartoons that kind of take place in this era and that become that's a trope that's like um that's a setting that cartoons kind of exist in and Heathcliff I think plays into that 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 cartoon history by sort of taking place in this like early suburban America environment that's sort of uh, it's sort of country, but yeah. not quite. And I'd say it's like 19, 1910 through about 1930, 40-ish. Yeah. That's, that's cartoon land. Because um, specifically the alleyway scene reminded me of a movie that we all probably just watched recently was A Christmas Story, which was set in 1950s oh, yeah. America. And I was like, and that's... Uh, the opening scene, which we'll talk about in a second, with the car and like the way that the houses are set up and that the fences aren't perfect. They're they kind of yep. look like they were just kind of put right. together, maybe with like stripped down shipping crates or pallets or whatever. But it was when he went into the alleyway, that's when I was like like you were saying, there's there's bins, like trash bins, the old metal trash bins and barrels and stuff like that. Things that you wouldn't yep. see in the nineteen eighties when this this show was aired in the eighties, right? Yep. But you wouldn't see that in the 80s in suburban America. But, like, I felt like this was more of a throwback. Also, they so, had the uh, steam locomotives, too. Which was, yeah, he does I'm, at one point get on a steam train. Yeah. I hard disagree with all of you. Oh, I'm hard and also disagree with you, but that's different. Um, Go on. This actually just takes place in Canada. Uh, that's just what uh, Canada looks like. Yeah. It so, was it was produced by a French Canadian animation company. Yeah. So let's get into that. Uh, Heathcliff, as we know it in the U.S., uh, aka Heathcliff and the Cadillac Cats, also known as Les Entrechats, mm-hmm. is a French Canadian American animated television series that debuted in September fifth, nineteen eighty four. It was the second series based off of the Heathcliff comic strip in Mertus and produced by DIC Audiovisual. And the, it's probably the, the better. I've seen a couple mm-hmm. episodes of the first series, and it's it sucks. It's bad. So we got 86 episodes of Heathcliff the Cat. Uh, they did follow the original pattern of making 65 episodes for the first season, uh, but then they got renewed for a second season, and in that second season they made another 21 episodes. So the first show that was based off the comic strip that Matt was actually just talking about was uh, called Heathcliff and Dingbat, or Heathcliff and Marmaduke. And that debuted in 1980. That's right. And was, and was produced by Ruby Spears, so yeah. hence the Hanna-Barbera-esque. 
they did oh, Heathbutt Heathcliff and Dingbats first, and then uh, they renewed and combined it with Marmaduke. Dingbats were characters that were invented by Ruby Spears. So th- this kind of makes sense too. If you were talking about how Heathcliff was a comic beforehand, I'm assuming that it was like a Sunday morning comic strip. Yeah, it was a weekly. It was a weekly strip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so also like, a Sunday just like strip. Marmaduke. So that would make sense as why they would team him up with Marmaduke. Yes. Yeah. Calvin and um, Hobbes. So the Cadillac Cats were actually characters created specifically by Jean Chaplin and uh, Bruno Banshee. Um, and it was outsourced to a lot of Japanese, Taiwanese, and Korean studios during that time frame. So uh, TMS Studio Kurumi, Wang Vil- Film, uh, Cuckoo's Nest, Mushi, and uh, others were involved in the first season of production uh, before DIC took it over with their own private Japanese studio. So Yeah. Uh, as Matt mentioned, Mel Blanc provided most of the voices in this. Uh, he played Heathcliff uh, in the 1980 series and reprised the role again in 1986. So there's there's actually a fair amount of, uh, I mean, just Mel Blanc by himself brings like a certain caliber of voice acting to pretty much any cartoon that he's in. And they actually had a, a fairly decent uh, set of voice actors for this cartoon. And you could definitely tell watching it. Uh, I'm impressed that they don't shout into the microphone when doing the voice acting. So that's a plus always. Yeah, yeah. He's a professional. Mm-hmm. So I went and pulled up a couple images of the actual comic strip. And I I seem to remember this running in the back page of the entertainment section of the Providence Journal as a kid as well. <laughs> like it just, it looked like the, the, the cartoon, the comics look like I seem to remember this, you know, so. I definitely remember seeing the comic strip. Uh, it was yeah. the kind of comic strip that would run in like the shitty second market paper. Like uh, in Washington, it wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the Post. It would be like the Washington Sun or something mm-hmm. like oh, that. Gotcha. Or like the it would come in the afternoon edition. Um, it, it it was always to me. It always felt like a kind of also ran. Compared to the uh, success of Garfield, mm-hmm. uh, even though it predates it, it wasn't quality Washington Post Sunday comics like like Doonesbury. Yeah, it didn't have that kind of <laughs> that kind of wit and and, and verve. Well, the the funny thing is, and we'll probably do this when we actually get to Garfield and Friends, is that um, Garfield was actually really made more as a marketing device than it was a comic strip like if you talk to the the creator of or if you read some of the stuff from the creator of garfield he was like yeah i actually just wanted to make a character that was marketable that would actually endure the test of time because people like my jokes with these other um uh comic strips and but nobody wanted to see these animals or these characters so yeah. i really was just trying to design something that was like marketable jim davis really skirts the line between uh talented creator and um, incredibly capitalist chill, and he, but he does it with such uh, such a plum that you can't really get mad at him. A lazy, well, also, abusive cat. He's also honest about it too. So, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's pretty upfront <laughs> about it. Has anyone read Garfield without Garfield? No. no oh I yes. Haven't. Oh yes. Yeah, and and there are even like two or three YouTube videos. It's so it's hardly like, recommend. It's just Jim and like. OP and them talking to themselves then? Uh, it's just Jim talking to itself. It's really about it's Jim's John. mental illness. Yeah, John's John. Gen- uh, John, John, John. Yeah. Yeah. 
John's mental illness as he like um, essentially reacts to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy! Well, That's the cat doesn't actually talk, so yeah, it's John just sitting there talking to a cat that sits there and stares at him. Yep. It's kind of crazy. Okay, so Heathcliff is uh, the regular format for Heathcliff is actually two separate cartoons. Uh, the first one usually focuses on Heathcliff himself, and the other one focuses on a, another main character named Riff Raff. <laughs> and uh, the Cadillac cats mainly hang out with Riff Raff, but they do make appearances in the Heathcliff cartoon um, with some regularity. It's like a connected universe. Mm. This follows the format of a lot of other cartoons of this era that kind of pissed me off, where you're here <laughs> for the main character, and then they throw in this and friends and riffraff stuff and it seems like a variety show and you're and they have these side episodes and you're like oh shit now it's this other stupid episode when i'm really here for the main character and yeah it stinks of another creator piggybacking on the success Mm -hmm. of uh the primary property i did not remember this show being told in two parts Ah, like oh, I didn't, yeah. I didn't remember it being a Looney Tunes esque, as Mike said, a, a variety style show. Um, and as I was, I was always watching it for the first time. And he's like, "I'm gonna go home and, pa-, or well, when when Heathcliff goes home to the kind of big reveal, I looked oh, at. Uh, are you afraid of spoilers? Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but no. And he says, he says, "I'm gonna go home and pack." And I looked at the timer on the episode, and it was only at ten minutes. And I was like, "How are they gonna stretch this out for another 12? And then that was that <laughs> yeah. was the, the point that it dawned on me that oh this is an episode told in two parts hence why it has a slash in the name and I had forgotten completely about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I felt the same again. Bringing up Garfield, I kind of felt the same about Garfield. Half the episode would be Garfield, and the other half would be like the the farm the farmyard animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to which I was very confused about why they were there. I would always stop watching at that point where it kind of felt like there was a piggyback episode with these random characters. Would you do that with Heathcliff as well? No, but for a very good reason we'll get to later on in this podcast. Mike, <laughs> is it the reason that I'm thinking? Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. You fucking so, perv. So let's just wait to the, get to that point. But... I think it's great. I think it's experiment to find out is adult Mike as creepy desperate as as eight-year-old Mike was. <laughs> there wasn't a lot to go off of. We didn't have the internet back then. It's true. Should we get into the episode itself, boys? Let's do it. Who's going to sing? Okay. Heathcliff, Heathcliff, he's no good. He's doing stuff somewhere in the hood. No, no. Heathcliff, Heathcliff, no one should terrorize the neighborhood. neighborhood. Just like something, 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 something. A weird bit about how they're competing to get women. What's this? Actually, reminds me a barbershop quartet. You, okay, you're clearly the bass, but let, let's get some like uh, harmony going on in here. Can I be the saxophone? 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 Um, I this actually reminded me a lot of a movie intro, and I can't remember what the name of that. 
I can't remember the name of the movie. Hmm. But Teen that, Wolf? That... No. I don't Inspector think so, Gadget? That, that ooh, oh. ooh, it's very doo-woppy. You, you know, it, 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 it... All right, have we gone back to Greece? There we go. I don't, I don't think that that was from Greece. Though. There is definitely a part of the 80s that we, like, I think we didn't get living through it. There was a part of the 80s aesthetic that was a huge 50s throwback uh, that was, like, referencing a lot of Retro's 50s stuff because they were appealing to the the 50s generation who were, at that point, what would they be in their 20s or 30s? No. 30s they'd or 40s parent age yeah know? so they'd be watching their car- cartoons with these with their kids mm-hmm. and so a lot of the pop culture was this kind of like both a new thing and an echo of the 50s I- i'll tell you it's crazy watching cartoons and kid shows now and they have they're having like strong references to the 80s and 90s and even breaking the fourth wall and being like hey parents you're gonna enjoy this part and it's like or even like in Lego movie where they mention uh, Back to the Future as a classic movie that older kids get to watch. And I'm like, oh, Back to the Future is a classic, like Gone with the Wind classic. Oh, my God, I'm old. Hey, I, I watched it in my uh, literature class. Oh, that's what it is. I'm sorry. I, this hmm. entire time I've been trying to think of the theme of the music. It was um, the National Lampoon's movies. The... Um, Oh, mm. um, yeah. I think it was like the European vacation. Holiday mm-hmm. Road. Yes, yeah. exactly. Oh, wow, yeah. Oh, yeah. Holiday Road. Yeah, it's, it's, Chevy Chase is such a great guy. Yeah, I think he's a really, really nice person to be around. I've heard Did, great uh, things. I, I heard that his best friend, Dan Harmon, was really <laughs> broken up when he had to leave community. Uh, I heard the same thing. This show was one of these wacky things that I got in my mind that I thought it'd be so cool to just ride around in roller skates. And that could be like a fashion symbol of just like being just wearing sunglasses, uh, headphones and and roller skates. That's it, folks. Just sunglasses, headphones and roller skates. That sounds like a recipe for like (laughs) broken legs and arms. Like, well, also getting arrested, you know, Miley yeah. Cyrus could probably do that, but, you know, she could ride around on a on a, a wrecking ball and lick a hammer, and I do that, and it's, sir, you're not allowed to do that in Home Depot. Do you think roller skates, sunglasses, and headphones is like eight, 80s virtual reality? That's like as close as you could get. I mean, I think I, that was like the cool thing. Close. Yeah, it, just like in Back to the Future, wearing the um, 3D glasses in as casual wear. You know, the, the blue lens and the red mm-hmm. lens, and, you yeah. know, it's a fashion thing. I tried to do that and got laughed out of school that day. I mean, there's you plenty of other... You got laughed out of school. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that, was, that was just one day. That was just like a Monday. Uh, my question is, when you did that and you looked at regular 3D objects, did it make them 4D? Could you no, see time? No, it actually made them 2D. It undid 3D. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, it took out the 3D? Yeah, it, it, took did out it make the 3D. it goes down to Just D. based on math, did it make it 6D? It was two and a half D. It's like those games where they put it at an angle, so it's kind of like three D, but it's still a two dimensional. That's called isometric. Yeah, isometric. Thank you. Two and a half You're D welcome. doesn't exist. <laughs> it does. Yeah, you've, it's a thing. you've never been Mike's wife. It's it's a thing. What? Nothing. Uh. So, anyways, going back to the headphones thing, that's that's another thing that I could not figure out what time frame this show was in that one of the Cadillac cats had headphones and headphones mm. 
clearly was not around in that. Well, it was it was definitely eighties. I mean, it, this was definitely an attempt to be the eighties um, in in the fashion sense because you even see with Hector, the main Cadillac cat, he is wearing a headband, and the way that his body was designed, it looked like he was wearing the pushed up sleeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that's guess. true. He looked like he was wearing a a, a, a Coke blazer. Yeah, and yeah. and Riffraff's like main squeeze, she definitely has leg warmers on. Yes, yeah. and uh, I, I actually think that, like, I mean, we're in a composite universe, but Heathcliff, yeah, yeah. Heathcliff takes place in like a in comic in cartoon land. It takes place in this ur suburbia of nineteen ten through nineteen forty. Yeah. Uh, whereas like the Sandlot the, Christmas Story, like Derek was saying yeah. earlier, it's, it's definitely this or like yeah. Cartoon, I would say his progenitor. Like in, I would say his progenitor is like Tom Sawyer. And it yeah. and it carries up through the Sandlot in the fifties, but like a lot of uh, early like Tom and Jerry also takes place in this mm-hmm. world. Um, uh, he's in that world, and then the Cadillac Cats—they're in the eighties, clearly in the eighties. Yeah, and they just jump between different realms or different dimensions. Times. They yeah, jump they through just, dimensions. They Although the Cadillac up. Cats are very fifties in their portrayal of a gang. In a sort of Jets versus Sharks type of uh, yeah. level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that that's the, the thing I was mentioning before is like buried within the aesthetic of the 80s is a retro throwback to the 50s to appeal to the to the boomers. It's definitely a retro throwback. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll give you that. Act one, scene one. We have the milkman showing up to Heathcliff's house. Heathcliff up in a tree with a trap set. That's a net that's going to fall on the milkman. Milkman walks about halfway up to the house, realizes they don't have any empty bottles, and says, oh, no empties, no refills. Jumps back in his car and takes off. Yeah, it, it's very cartoony with the cat setting a trap for the milkman in this wily e coyote type way. Yeah. yeah. It was almost coitins for him. Coitins. Coitins. <laughs> yes. What's with the animal abuse of him kicking Heathcliff out of the moving vehicle onto the street? Well, let's get to that. Well, he he told Heathcliff there is no returns. He knows the rules. He knows there's there's no new milk when the, all the old milk hasn't been drunk. It's true. So it was Heathcliff's fault. He was asking for the abuse. Well, Heathcliff Heathcliff doesn't control the milk distribution. That's done by the owners of his house. His his owners. It's done by the man. Mm-hmm. That's true. So an important part here is, that, like, is as you mentioned, the milk truck drives off. Heathcliff is able to uh, chase down the truck, jump mm-hmm. on top of it, is meowing at the milkman and grabs onto the milkman's leg. And the milkman just kicks Heathcliff as hard as he can out of the car and says, you motherfucking cat, I'm so fucking tired of you coming over here and trying to get my fucking mm. milk. I'm going to fucking kill you the next time I see you. You better be get out on the road because we're just going to run you over, you goddamn fucking orange cat. Mm-hmm. Just like that. Curb verbatim. stomps him. Yeah. That's exactly what was said. And that's the end of the episode. Yep. Drives off. The end. <laughs> it's Memorial um, service on Saturday. American history Heathcliff. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Bite the curb. <laughs> uh, did anybody else pick up on the fact that the, the truck was essentially someone like making the truck noise with their mouth as it drove along? <laughs> okay. Oh, we, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we we got to get into the sound effects overall. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the sound effects are 
off the hook in the sense that someone allowed uh, the sound effects person to do whatever the fuck <laughs> they wanted, and they decided that every second should be filled with some sort of whack-tacky noise. Yeah, every, every scene has something very strange in it. It reminds me of YouTube videos nowadays that my kids incessantly watch where there's no, like, there's no words, there's no dialogue, it's just a soundboard and someone mm. mashing on soundboard buttons. And for this one, I feel like Mel Blanc probably did all these sound effects and they just were like, here, take a microphone, go in a corner and just start making sounds as you watch this episode. Yeah, they have like flashcards and they're like, uh, that th- with a bunch of pictures on them. And every time they flipped one up, he would just make that noise. Yeah, yeah. I also didn't remember Heathcliff having that that kind of nineteen thirties gangster voice. Like that when he when he opened his mouth, I was yeah. like, oh yeah, that's right. But going into it, if you had said, hey, do you remember watching the show Heathcliff as a kid? And I would said yes, they'd say describe how he sounds, and I wouldn't be like. Yeah, never catch yeah. me, coppers. You know, like yeah, just, yeah. He, he, he literally is like a combination of Rodney Dangerfield and Al Capone. Is also kind of backed up by his behavior. He acts like the little mob boss of his his quote unquote territory. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that I found uh, increasingly disturbing. Mm-hmm. Also, this mm-hmm. is one of the a few times that I will say that the cat snaggletooth thing is very not kawaii. <laughs> huh? You fucking leap! <laughs> Thank you, Matt. <laughs> Thank you for the fucking weeb spear right in Mike's back right now, just sticking out with a big flag on it. <laughs> I've got a gun. When I pull the trigger, it just puts out a little flag that says "weeb" Weep. on it. <laughs> well, Heathcliff is a uh, is like a fully a cat. He really has no human attributes other than occasionally standing up. Yeah, the Cadillac cats don't have the snaggle tooth or anything like that. They actually dress like they're you know, one's in a tie, the other one's in his Mungo outfit, and then the other Yeah, the other like... cats wear clothes. They're much more yes, human. Yes, they're anthropomorphized. <laughs> uh, whereas in the, whereas yeah. Heathcliff just has hands and stands upright. That's like the only thing. <laughs> occasionally. Really I appreciate that Heathcliff can't communicate with humans. Um, I liked that portion of it, and but we do learn after he's kicked out of the milk truck that it is his birthday. Yep, and uh, he walks back to the house, kicks the uh, tree that had the, the nets in it, the trap in it, mm-hmm. while he's complaining about it being his birthday, and then comes down, catches Heathcliff. Then we cut inside to um, the family talking about the big surprise party for Heathcliff, the grandmother and grandson seem to be really excited about this thing grandfather's like why the fuck are we wasting our time trying to um, celebrate the birthday of this cat it's a stupid thing to do why are we doing this the old man hates has always hated heathcliff like even in the comic strip he hated heathcliff and the old man is reading a newspaper at the um, uh, kitchen table it looks like the kid's cleaning up a little bit and the grandma is actually doing the dishes yeah, because uh, she does the real, like, emotional labor to support this family. Yeah. And when Grandpa says, why are we doing this? Grandma smashes a plate <laughs> and says, oh, this is going to be fun. It's going to be a great time spending time with Heathcliff. He's going to really enjoy this. Yeah, she's saying that while holding the broken plate to Grandpa's neck. 
<laughs> anyway, everyone in the family is planning to uh, planning a surprise party for Heathcliff, and they're all planning to leave during the day. Yeah, uh, to various different on. things. Yeah, yeah, it's because they don't want to let him on. So, scene three, we have Heathcliff. He walks into the house. He says to himself, "I've had a heck of a day so far. I want breakfast in bed." And then he walks over to a throne, which I guess is his bed, and sits down on it. Uh, the kid comes in and says, hey, Heath- Heathcliff, I'm going to go over to Willie's house. And Heathcliff grabs a calendar and points at the date. And it's the 17th of something. And he points at the date. And the kid goes, oh, yeah, uh, I, I have this project i got to go work on. i got to go out. So there's obviously like some sort of weird communication between the kid and the cat. But Heathcliff isn't understood when he talks. Yeah, I mean, it's clear from this scene that Keith Cliff is, like, sentient. Like, yeah. he, he has... Sapient. Uh, yep, oh, sapient. Yeah, yeah. Sapient, you're right. He, <laughs> he was, he's both sentient and sapient. Well, don't you have to be sapient in order to... Or don't you have to be sentient to be sapient? I don't know. I've, Data. I don't think I have. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So he has, he has a very complex understanding of, like, dates, the passage of time, um, how everything works together he has a complex understanding of like tools because he's obviously put together a trap he has a calendar that he can refer to he can also read because obviously he's reading the date on the calendar to understand what that means so there is a a a great deal of understanding about his environment that does make him uh, i mean even if yeah even if not ability to read he has a theory of mind that he has observed other people looking at this object and knowing the date. So he is able to conceive of them thinking differently than he does so that when he pulls down the calendar to point to the date of his birthday, he has an understanding that they will understand it differently than he does. Or he could just just read. That makes more sense. Or he could just read, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So so he does have this, this complex understanding. And he also can't communicate with other cats, which we will see see in other scenes, so it stands to reason that the same level of intelligence of intelligence is inferred to these other cats that he's speaking to. Um, but after the kid leaves, um, and Heathcliff, I think it actually might be when Heathcliff is pointing at the uh, calendar, he makes the most unusual noise, going again to the weird sound <laughs> effects here. And I don't even know what it was supposed to be. Like, it didn't sound like a cat. It didn't really sound like a human. It almost sounded like a machine shredding some sort of like audio file that was playing while it was being shredded. Was this during the period in which he kicks the door and kind of has a fit? Yeah, he has yes. a little hissy fit right after this. Yeah, and the, and destroys a lamp. Yeah, the lamp sh- a lamp. He breaks kicks the, the lampshade. Piano. He kicks piano. Lamp falls off. The lamp shatters. The lampshade lands on his head, and then he shreds the lampshade trying to get it off his head. Then. Grandpa comes in and yells at the cat. This was really the scene for me when I was like, oh my god, the sound effects mm-hmm. are going to be an issue. <laughs> it's constant. It, it's like the Nintendo games that had to have wall-to-wall music and never broke from the soundtrack. It's There's wall-to-wall sound effects. You can't go through a single motion without it making some kind of boink sound. Yeah, I can just hear the sound effects guy like in his booth. He gets the like finished episode and the whole time he's just like, it's boring. It's so fucking boring. I've got, I can fix this. I can do it. 
and he's just I'm like, going to strangle this chicken with a tambourine. That'll make it work. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, is there a second without sound effects? It must be filled. So I got a couple of vibes, like, since we're talking about the sound effects and essentially the ludicrous, essentially, presentation of, of this episode. Um, I got very, very, like, Buster Keaton, Laurel and Hardy, the Three Stooges. Oh, yeah. And I, again, touching on something that I remember watching the show, but I did not remember how much slapstick comedy that this show relies on. Like, the entire yeah. thing is is 22 minutes and 8 seconds of nonstop homage to, like, the silent films and the slapstick comedy of, like, the 20s and 30s, which was was interesting to me. But, yes, it was also hyper-distracting with the fact that I, I just went back and re-listened to that sound, Adam. It's when he drops it and he, like, puffs his chest out and then mm-hmm. exhales. And I, it's yeah, like you a, can't even tell what it is. It's, like it's just insanity. whale fart. I mean, it's fucking, yeah. like, who knows what it is. <laughs> You're like, that doesn't make any sense there. But it's... I, uh, I think I think it, the sound... Well, the sound design and the uh, connections you're making, Derek, really ties into Heathcliff. Like, I feel like the creators behind the Heathcliff portion of the show really wanted it to be classy and classic. And they're playing <laughs> with a, they're playing yeah. with a lot of, like, classic cartoon tropes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. classic silent film tropes. And then they also put in this, like, 80s sex comedy on the side. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> Especially in the second half of the show, but no, Very you're right. Stooges, like, yeah. The, when he gets, they're the trying lamp, to have their cake and fuck it too. Yeah, like it's, he gets the lamp busted on his head and it goes over his eyes and he's stumbling around. That is a classic slapstick comedy, comedy. Oh trip. no, yeah. I, yeah. I'm just expecting the curly sound, like the whoop 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 whoop. whoop. Yeah, actually, I'm surprised <laughs> they didn't have that in there. To be perfectly honest, it does seem like something that should be in this. There, yeah. there is a sound effect I'll mention when we get to it that was very unexpected very for me. Okay. This is the 80s. This was before they started dismantling unions. I wonder if there's like one guy <laughs> whose job it was to have the um, little slide, like the little slide uh, flute. And it's like, it's my one job to blow this slide flute. So I'm going to do it now. And now. And now. Hey. And now, Mike, this was Mike, actually 1986, so this was peak dismantling union times. Mike, this Mike, was that was my dad's job. That was my dad's job. My dad was a slide fluteman, and let me tell you, it's <laughs> yeah. a, it's an involved job. And a yes, sli- they had a powerful union. A slide fl- fluteman for the military. Yes, he he would be he'd be out of the front line. He he would be <laughs> to call I, the troops into battle as they charge into combat. You you really don't understand the nuance, the emotion, and the commitment that it takes to be a slide fluteman. My dear boy, you undoubtedly think of the slide whistle as merely a whistle that slides. Let me disabuse you of that misperception. Look, and- I get it. I was the cowbell player in a band, and sometimes <laughs> you need cowbell more man? cowbell. I was a cowboyman. I feel like a, a really good slide fluteman gets promoted very quickly <laughs> to like trombone. It's it's, a, it's really hard to hit the right note on that slide Just flute. Fucking pounding away on that skin flute. <laughs> Pound that flute. Uh, I guess we've all been promoted in a way. All right, we're still I'm sorry. In when you said here. slide fluteman, I just lost it. I'm over here laughing. <laughs> So the tail end of this of this particular scene, we have uh, Heathcliff walking into the kitchen trying to get food from Gran, 
Basically, Heathcliff is having a series of rejections. Yeah, that's pretty much the entirety of this episode. He's having a bad um, birthday. Uh, grandma and Grandpa, uh, the next scene, Grandma and Grandpa jump in their car. And uh, Heathcliff is actually in the car with them, curled up on Grant's lap, trying to, uh, I guess, snuggle up to her. And she pushes, pushes him out of the car because they're going to go see Aunt Mary in the hospital and cats aren't allowed. Let's talk about this car. Yes, let's talk about this car. Is this a Model T? It's a fucking Model Awesome is what it is. Yeah, it's a, it, is, it is great. It's like if a Model T had sex with a smart car. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> and Model T's only came like, in the color black, so this is something clearly alternate dimension here. It's so clearly like, it's a jalopy. It's it's a it's a crushed up Model T. It, it like got a little bit more lift to the roof on it. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's like a compact version of that type of car, painted there's, red and white. There's definitely some junk in the trunk, too. <laughs> Literally. The... Well, that's that's the spare tire, so. Yeah. I always like a car with a little spare tire, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. In, in case I um, roll over a nail or something. Yep. So Heathcliff is, is upset because they're... All the family's leaving him alone. He hasn't gotten any treats. He hasn't gotten any food. So he then says, oh... I know. I'll go see what Mossy's up to. I think it's Marcy. Is it Marcy? It's not like it, Mossy it's a it's the bad uh, accent. It's like, I'll go see what Mossy's up to. I'll go <laughs> see what Mossy's up to. Yeah, uh, you are right. It is Marcy, in fact. Um, uh, yeah, I, I didn't think they named their child Mossy. <laughs> hey, I don't know. This is Canada in the 1950s. So who the hell knows what's going on? True. So, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Faults? I don't know. <laughs> So Marcy, Marcy in scene five, Marcy and her mom are making a cake for Heathcliff's surprise party. What struck me about this scene is how fucking dead-eyed Marcy's mom is. Like, that <laughs> woman is fucking <laughs> sleepwalking through her life. Well, she's on value. This yeah. is 1950s Canada, right? So she's just pounded value. She's just like her... her or, she's like... Probably, she's, no, no, I'm sorry. She's on Lotnam. This is yeah. all Laudanum. Lith- yeah. Lithium. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, she's on Laudanum. She's like having an existential crisis where she's like, I'm making a fucking cat, a cake for my child's cat friend. And her, she, that life has just gone out of her whole face. Yeah, yeah. It's like, this This is what I do on my weekends now. This is my life now. This spend, is what I do. I spend all regretting week in a... the coal mines, yeah. mining that coal for my family. And then on the weekends, I got to put on a nice dress and make cat cakes. I used to work for the State Department, and I would travel to Ecuador and have crazy adventures. And now, I make a cake for the neighbor's cat. That's what I do. Fuck it. I'm making this a chocolate cake. Fuck <laughs> <that>. <laughs> With onion topping. <laughs> it's me. I'm still a person. I'm making a choice. <laughs> so anyway Heathcliff is pissed off because uh, Marcy's not going to come out and play so he uh, walks down the steps and he's complaining about how life's unfair or whatever it is but then he spots uh, two empty milk containers one of them has a little drop of cream left in it I can't says, believe you're going over this <laughs> and he says ooh a drop of cream and the reason detail. why I'm going over this the reason why I'm going over this is because as soon as he picked up that, that, that bottle I was like that bottle's been sitting out in the sun all day. Mm-hmm. The fuck are you doing? That's going to be like the nastiest thing you could possibly drink. And then like he drinks it and it touches his tongue. And I'm like, 
of course they're gonna have him drink it because it's a stupid ass cartoon but he immediately goes oh gross it's sour and spits it out and gets upset and i'm like oh that really is a level of realism that I was not expecting here. <laughs> <laughs> the realism that we expect in an 80s cartoon. We have uh, high standards. And, and this is also another one of those weird sound effect moments where his stomach made some sound. And I actually, I went back and watched it like two or three times and I couldn't actually figure out what it was. And I, I for a moment, I thought, it, I thought that maybe it was actually his stomach talking. Like it actually said something. Hmm. Because Heathcliff responds to his stomach after it makes a noise saying, don't worry, friend, how does fresh fish sound? I feel like this is one of the few, like, humanizing character moments for Heathcliff in which he, uh, it's revealed what a slave to his passions he is. Like, that he really has no control over his behavior because uh, he's driven to it by these... Um, these Base instincts. Yeah, or like uh, internal compulsions that his Based body, desires. yeah, his body drives him to do and be the terrible person that he is. So he obviously has a addiction to milk. That's right. the reason why he attacked the milk driver. And even when he saw a disgusting, rancid droplet of milk, he still went for it, just because there was some hope that he might get that dopamine shot that he needs. Yeah, it's like food in general, but milk, yeah, yeah, certainly milk in the first half of this episode. It's yeah. like Garfield and lasagna. It, it's like, it's it's an addiction. That's crazy. A cat eating lasagna? That's crazy. Where'd you get these crazy. wacky ideas, Mike? That's wacky. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me interject here. So I actually found what I believe is the car that they based Grandma and Grandpa's car off of. It looks Damn. like it's a 1924 Kissel Coupe. And the wow. Kissel Motor Company was founded in June 5th, 1906 in Hartford, Wisconsin. Uh, High-quality automobiles, hearses, fire trucks, taxi cabs, and trucks. And they lasted till 1942. But if you go look at a 1924 Kissel on YouTube, it's got the porthole window in the back. It's got the little kind of bill over the window that they have, and it's got the fender flares that are similar kind of in uh, in dimension to Grandma and Grandpa's automobile. That car is awesome. That that Kissel Coupe, that blue one? Yes. Yep. Yeah, it isn't looks that amazing. thing gorgeous? Yeah. Yeah. It's It looks like uh, every car that the great Gatsby owned. Yeah, pretty much. But I think that's the closest thing... To what they used in the animation. So maybe somebody was a fan of that. Because that thing is, is very, very spot on. And the thing that drew my eye as I was doing a Google image search was actually the bill over the window. Because that was something that jumped out on Grandma and Grandpa's car to me. Well, Matt, the Great Gatsby just passed into... Uh, public domain. Public domain. We're... So feel free to steal everything from it. Well, I'm, uh, I'm already writing a slash fiction between Great Gatsby and Heathcliff. Man, I'd have to go back and reread that book. I remember really liking it in high school when I read it. It's it's very good. Although I had a friend uh, who was like, "I love the Great Gatsby. He's like so into shirts and I'm and stuff." And I'm like, uh, <laughs> "Did you like miss the whole point of that book <laughs> completely?" What, was he actually referring to the book, or was he? Yeah, okay. I really like the part where he picked out his outfit. <laughs> yeah, he's like that scene where they, they they pull out all the all the shirts and Daisy's really uh like 
enjoying all his shirts and it's wonderful. And I'm like, you mean the scene that demonstrates that Daisy is into like objects and can be purchased and Gatsby has pursued those things only because that is what he is worth as a person? Yeah, I think uh, that book flew clear over your friend's head. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Like a good 20 to 30 feet over. Uh, Let's ask Mike real quick why he wanted to be a genetic scientist. I just want to ask him real quick. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, Mike, Mike why, did, why did you... Uh, why do you want to be a genesis? Good Lord. Um, <sighs> I saw the movie Gattaca. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure it was Gattaca, not Splice? <laughs> Splice came out much later, but although um, I do remember, um, what was the movie with Natasha Henstridge? Um, species, <laughs> species. <laughs> yeah, that was oh another. That was, that was a good um, use of genetic material. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, Mike. That was very mean, but very worth it. I don't know any of the backstory there. Please don't explain it to me because that joke is perfect just the way it is. I'm going to have to rethink my uh, podcasting while sober uh, stance because that was pretty good. (laughs) That was good. That was good. Yeah. So scene six, we see Heathcliff running up, or I should say rather sneaking up to the fish shop. And he runs at the door. It doesn't open. The fish shop cl- is closed. And Heathcliff freaks out, says an emergency must have happened on the sea. Or the man must have gotten lost at sea. Something like that. Really enjoyed this, the design of the fish shop and the paintings around the fish shop. It really like had a wonderfully like uh, cartoon quality. And the overhead view was really nice. I enjoyed the fish shop very much. It was very nice. And it clearly felt like a different part of town. It was great. I yeah. liked it. We then cut to scene seven where we see the Cadillac cats. Um, Hector, uh, who is a brown and beige cat that looks like the 80s preppy guy. With the I think he's a Siamese. Was, I think he's supposed to be a Siamese cat, too. Yeah. yeah. But they don't They don't really go into that. He's just he's just beige and brown. And he has, like, puppy arms. So... But his arms are puffed up, and it kind of looks like he's wearing like the rolled-up sleeves of a blazer jacket. Mm-hmm. And um, he's wearing a purple tie with a with a uh, collar, and he's also wearing a headband. And then we have Wordsworth, which who's a light gray cat, who's a bebop cat. Uh, he rides around on skates. He's got a Walkman, and you guys said he wears sunglasses. They actually look like goggles. Like he's got goggles on the top of his head. He also always speaks in rhyme. And he always speaks in rhyme. Uh, that's, I tried doing that for a week at school because um, I <laughs> thought it would be cool. Did you, and, what movie did you see? No, is because of this. I was like, oh, man, that's so cool. He speaks in rhyme. I want to try that. <laughs> um, so we, we find the Cadillac cats, and they are uh, digging through the trash. Oh, wait. I didn't introduce Mungo. Mungo. The last Cadillac cat was Mungo. He's a fat purple cat that wears this uh, red beanie and like a red... Uh, cut off crop top for some reason his belly hanging out yeah by far my favorite cadillac cat yeah the other cadillac cats are garbage yep well the cadillac cats are also going through garbage right now so they're in one of those back alleyways the dirt alleyways we were talking about and they're scrounging through uh, some metal garbage bins trying to find all the scraps they can to put together a gift for heathcliff 
and Heathcliff comes running around the corner, and he sees them, and he's a bit pissed off. He's like, what are you guys doing here? There's no scraps around. It looks like everything's been picked over with a fine-tooth comb. And uh, one of them, I can't even, it might have been Mungo, called Heathcliff Heathy. said, settle down, Heathy. And he's like, nobody calls me Heathy but my girlfriend. And then takes off. My question is, why are they doing this? And the answer to that, uh, I think Hector says to Wordsworth, they're doing this because they are afraid if they don't, that they will not have another birthday. So, like, the fact that Heathcliff would um, murder, torture Moiter, and murder them. Moiter yeah. them. Yes, is is enough for them to procure a, a gift for him. Yep. And at this point, Wordsworth, uh, you could see a really good shot. His headphones and goggles are one. It's like the headband of his headset is actually part of his goggles. So I don't know if when he puts on his glasses, if he has to twist his entire... Uh, headphone set but they look like the one in the same they're like one unit yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i don't know I mean, actually how it's, they work it's a vr unit it could yeah. be it it's even it's, it's, it's got like a VR, antenna yeah. on it yeah yeah he can listen to uh, the eurythmics and see cool uh checkerboard landscapes and speak in rhyme yeah. all the time <laughs> all right so heathcliff runs off he's heading over to sonia's house wait his girlfriend what? You missed the uh, obligatory fight scene with the dust cloud, and there. No, being... no, no. That's, no. that's that comes, after that this. comes later. That's oh, the next that's the scene. So. Oh, so, Mike. Um, he goes talking to Sonia, and he's Sonia's in a second story window. Heathcliff is lounging on the fence top, and he's basically saying sweet nothings to Sonia, but then also saying it's my birthday. Let's go out. Let's go dancing. Let's go have some dinner. Let's go have a date. You know. And Sonia says, "No, I can't. I have a beauty appointment." Um, and he says, but it's my birthday. She's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. And then and then he freaks out, falls off the fence, and then says something like, well, you won't have me to boss around anymore. Let but it's my birthday. So the next scene is Heathcliff going back to the Cadillac Cats mm-hmm. and basically picking a fight with them. Well, he... He thinks that they he has that Sonia has a previous yeah. engagement with them. With them, he's yeah. he's mistaken that they were building making a gift to give to Sonia. So he he grabs the gift, throws it on the ground, and jumps on it because they they had wrapped up the gift at this point in time. And he says, "Now nobody can have this," even though he didn't really do anything to it. He just jumped on it. Yes. He he then rolls up his sleeves and goes in for the fight, and it. We get the obligatory dust ball fight where each of the Cadillac cats tries to get out at some point in time. Um, uh, the best it, one being Hector, who's actually like sort of swimming his way out, and then gets drugged back in. And there is a brief scene where Heathcliff uh, is wearing Wordsworth's outfit and skates around the fight and comes back in. And he Very nonchalant, too. On. And he's got a headband, yep. Yeah, he's stolen, and, essentially stolen all those clothes as he's beating his frenemies to death. <laughs> yeah, and and he, as he's getting around, as Matt said, it was nonchalantly, very relaxed. It almost looked like he was whistling. No chalants were given. I actually laughed out loud at this part. <laughs> I it, it, was a, it surprised me, and I thought it was pretty clever, and I was like, this is so stupid, and I actually was laughing. I think it's the only part of this that I was actually laughing at. 
I found this to be one of the most disturbing aspects of a disturbing episode. One of the things that happens right before the fight is that um, that Cadillac Cats, uh, due to the misunderstanding that Heathcliff thinks that they're going to take out Sonia, one of them says was it was supposed to be a secret. And Heathcliff says, there are no secrets on my turf, and then proceeds to beat them, potentially to death. How very mafia-esque of him. Yeah, it it Mm. was a real... It was a real deke move. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh. And the dag joke goes to yeah. David. <laughs> Episode title. <laughs> so, and, and it's reinforced even afterwards, after the fight settles down, and Heathcliff is like disengaging and is about to walk away as the Cadillac cats are piled on the ground. He says something along the lines of, if I catch you talking to Sonya again... I'll make sure that you are that you never walk again. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, acting like a mafia tough, mm-hmm. acting like you know the mob boss of the area. So, yeah. we then, with no explanation whatsoever, we get the scene of Heathcliff traveling. Uh. He climbs a tree, jumps on the dump truck, rides on the back of a steam train, jumps off the train, off the train as it's going over a bridge over water into like a river. He lassoes the back of a motorboat. Uh, with skis on, so he water skis on his motorboat for a while. Let's go to the motorboat, skis up to the beach. Runs up the beach that actually has like a bunch of different uh, kiosks set up on it, so it's obviously like a vacation spot. Gets to an overpass, climbs the ladder to the top of the overpass, jumps on top of a box truck, and then we cut to a new scene of him jumping off the box truck in front of a what looks like a cartoon person. I feel like this was the writers being like, uh, you know what? Fuck the animators. Fuck <laughs> <them>. <laughs> I felt like this is where, if this was Family Guy, he would have jumped into one of those obligatory like song and dance numbers. It's the the producers realizing we have about thirty seconds, yes, about a minute to kill. Yeah. Let's yeah. just yep. throw this in. How, how can we? How can we one up ourselves in a way that just eats time? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But anyway, he runs up to the jail cell. There's a guard out front that says, "Oh, sorry, son, you're about an hour too late." Your father's already escaped. Yes. Uh, Heathcliff's father is a con, and he's always shown. He's basically Heathcliff, but he wears a striped con outfit. Yeah, he wears a yellow and black striped con outfit, so he looks like a weird cat bubble green hybrid. Heathcliff's dad is from the strip, so Heathcliff's dad would appear in the comic strip, and he was always escaping prison and being caught and taken back to prison. Okay, and, gotcha. So it was yeah. a, it was a running gag cuz like when the way that that was presented it, it made it seem like that was to be expected if you were a fan of the show or the or the comic strip. I feel like Heathcliff the comic strip from what I remember of it is it's like a series of little recurring cycles that Heathcliff would kind of bear witness to some mm-hmm. of them. One of them was uh flirting with Sonia and her owner the, the the she had two owners a, a man and a woman and the uh, f- the the wife being thinking it was very sweet and the husband being very annoyed uh, his dad always escaping prison and then also the cycles of uh, the dynamic within the family where the grandfather hates him and the grandmother loves him gotcha now as a cat is this prison a animal shelter you would think so, but the guard seems to be taking it a little bit too seriously if it is an animal shelter. Well, he seems pretty nonchalant about his dad escaping. He does, but he's also wearing a uniform with like a billy club and a pistol. 
Well, I guess there's no pistol, but... It's a prison for the criminally animal. Ooh! (laughs) It's like Arkham Asylum for cats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a a cranimal prison. (laughs) Maximum security. Animally insane. So so you think that Heathcliff's father isn't just a villain. He's a supervillain. He's a real bad cat. I don't know if it's super villain. Maybe he's like a so so almost incredible villain. He might be so, a super so villain in that he seems cat. to have the same kind of revolving door that a lot of super villains have at Arkham. In mm-hmm. that like going to prison doesn't seem to be a problem at all. Yeah. And getting yeah. out doesn't seem to be a problem either. Right. It's just something you do. Mm-hmm. Just it's a, it's a halfway house for, you know, c- cooling off in between bouts with the superhero. Yeah, it's your downtime. Yeah. All right, so Heathcliff then vows at this point in time, the end of the scene, he sits down on the curb and he says, you know what, I'm not appreciated here. I'm going to pack up my bags. I'm going to leave town. I'm going to go find some place where I am appreciated. Yep. And then we cut to the final scene of this particular chapter of the first act, I should say. Uh, Scene 11, Heathcliff comes home after dark to the big surprise of all of his friends and family at his home with a cake, there to surprise him for his birthday. Everybody yells surprise? And this Everybody is the first surprise. scene where we see him actually walk on all fours like a regular cat as he was coming <laughs> in the door. Yeah, he chased after the uh, milk, oh, milk truck on all fours. Yeah. They played the uh, bipedal running uh, sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Did they double it to make it a... a uh, four <laughs> to make it four legs. <laughs> I'd just like to point out that when they yell surprise, the the Zelda chest opening theme plays. <laughs> oh, does it really? Um, and also, like the people at this party is a very weird collection of people. It is. Yeah. yeah. So we have uh, Grand and Grandpa, the kid, the kid's friends, Marcy. Um, it's funny, I know all the side characters' names except for his family. Yeah, yeah. Um, Grandma, uh, Grandpa, and Kid. Yeah. We have the Cadillac Cats. We have Sonia. We have uh, the Milkman. Milk we have the Fish Dad. We have the Fish cli- the fish uh, Market Owner. Presumably, we have the Fish Market Owner. owner and presumably, we have like another butcher. Here. Yeah, because yes. one guy's wearing like a, a fez style cap, and then the other guy's wearing yeah. a, a straw cap. And I just went back and listened. I don't know if that's exactly the Zelda chest opening music, but it is damn close. It's Motherfucker, it is the Zelda chest opening music, and I will fight you. <laughs> I'll just go play some Zelda and report back <laughs> next podcast. Uh, it's only valid if you hear it in the Water Temple. Uh, nope, so, nope, not going <laughs> to nope. go play that much Zelda. <laughs> so Heathcliff, oh, well, actually, hold on. We we see everybody that's standing there. Yeah. Also at the party is the dog. Is the, is the dog mm-hmm. his yeah. enemy from the opening credits. Yep. Wait, where's the dog in this? It's his birthday. And, and oh, the, yeah. And the, dr- and the dog trips the person carrying the oh, cake. Right. Yeah, he yeah. trips the kid as the kid's He trips the, the kid. And, they, and it looks like it's an accident because they go in a, a close up of the foot. We see the trip happen. Was it, it pulls Adam? back? Pulls was back it? to a wide <laughs> shot, and in the wide shot, you see that dog going, "Oh no! Mm-hmm. Did I do that?" Uh, so the cake spills all over Heathcliff. It gets all over his head, all over his face. But yes. he's laughing. 
he's actually yes. happy about this. He laughs like a fucking insane person. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I could do. Yeah, and then everyone laughs. Yeah, then everybody starts laughing. Actually, everybody like waits, like holding their breath because they know it's Heathcliff. They're like. Fuck! A motherfucker's gonna get killed. Yeah, he's gonna he pull might... out a gun and he's gonna start shooting everybody. He might murder and, us all. Yeah, and then when he starts us. laughing, everybody's like, "Oh, oh, thank God!" <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> a mob boss. Yeah, over and over, uh, it wasn't just me. Everyone was like, "This dude's the mob boss. He is like, yes. he has this a, a volatile, violent personality." Uh, uh, he dominates and controls everyone in the neighborhood who is uh, terrified of him. And they're all afraid of his reactions and they do whatever they can to appease him because of his power and control. Um, I honestly watching this, I felt kind of gross. But no, no, you're you're right. He he is is privileged and he's allowed to do these things, but it's almost also like he is beloved for doing these things. Like this is part of his personality that people are drawn to and they they love the fact that he gets into these crazy antics. Well, that's the whole opening song. Yeah. Like making trouble <laughs> in the neighborhood. Like that's the yep. the whole premise behind the show is that this cat's a dickhead. Uh, a week ago I would have said he's Trump and it would have been funny and now uh, it is less it's funny. Terrifying. Uh, it's still yes. funny. <laughs> well, he he he's is got orange. orange privilege. He is yeah. orange. <laughs> he is kind of fat. Damn. Yours is better, Mike. Orange He's got orange, orange privilege. Orange privilege. <laughs> Love it. I, I agree with you and your sentiments on this episode. Like, looking, it was like, seriously, like two or three minutes into this whole episode, I'm like, why in the fuck did I like this as a kid? Yeah. It was just. It's enjoyable. It, we were kids. We liked Three Stooges. We liked it when things got slapped around and, you know, funny sound effects. This totally fits with the 1980s vibe of, you know, Saturday morning kids. No moral law. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah, we, we thought, you know, everything was hunky-dory in the 80s. All right, so Act 2, getting into the second uh, second episode, which is the more problematic of the two, even though we do know that the first one was somewhat problematic. The first one is is bad, but kind of fits into like a literary tradition. I I related it to like Tom Sawyer, who yeah, actually, when yeah. you think about it, Tom Sawyer has a lot of white privilege. Um, uh, but episode the second part of this episode is deeply troubling. Yeah, it's it's like uh, it's like Revenge of the Nerds level of troubling. Uh, yes. Yeah, I would actually, you know, it's it's funny. I, I know Revenge of the Nerds is kind of the, the poster boy for, like, bad sex comedies from the 80s that you go back and rewatch and go, ugh. But the one what that's about even, uh, that's what I was just about to mention. I was like, <laughs> the one that's worse, I can still watch Revenge of the Nerds and be like, all right, whatever. It was the early 80s and roll my eyes. Porky's is uncomfortable. You're just I'm like, just gonna, what, what about fuck? What about Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield? Where That one's yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Like they, well, they threw in the full frontal nudity just, or the, the, it was actually just top nudity, but it was just like, that's what you did in comedies in the 80s is like, you but, have like. But that's, that's not as bad as, as in Revenge of the Nerds, where you have one of the nerds pretend to be one of the girl's boyfriends, has sex with the girl, and then but afterwards so the girl good. is like, oh, that was such good sex. We're going to be boyfriend, girlfriend now. Oh, so just <laughs> yeah. like Wonder like, Woman 1984. Just like. Uh, I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Give me hey, reverse. Hey, no spoilers. Yeah. Don't worry. Um, I'm going to share a no, special yeah, memory. I have a, I'm going to share a special memory that tells us a lot about Adam. Um, I think I saw Porky's at Adam's house. You probably um, be- did. Yeah. Because Adam's dad had a machine that would let him copy rentals. And so he would, he would, uh, they would rent something and watch it in that evening. And then his dad would like obsessively uh, make VHS copies of whatever they had rented. Uh, and then we, <laughs> Mike, yes. Didn't he have like a wall of VHS movies? Yes. No, yeah. Yeah. We had like several cabinets filled with VHS movies. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching Porky's at Adam's house. And I don't remember really anything about the movie except that, like, yeah, there was a lot of, like, boobies and stuff. And then also, it was one of the first movies that I watched, and I was like, I don't identify with anyone in this movie. I don't (laughs) have any connection to any of these representations of humans in any way. Yeah. None of these characters have any type of qualities that I can say, oh, I see that aspect myself right they're because their only quality their only quality they had and maybe i was too young the only quality they had was horniness yeah Uh so the only thing i remember for that movie was kim control having sex with one of the main characters in like the sports uh storage room and it was a it was there was a problem because she was being way too loud and it the room vented into like the main stadium so everybody could like hear her moaning and screaming so he stuffed a jock strap in her mouth oh god that's so funny that's the, that's the only thing i remember about it that's that's the funniest thing that i have ever heard <laughs> so yes very problematic and reminiscent of the second part of this cartoon so we, we start off with Riff Raff coming out of his uh, domain, out of his home, which is like this... Um, junkyard. Weird, um, it's a junkyard, but, but his is actually like a... It's like an aircraft that's um, parked on top of a pile of garbage, a pile of junk. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's his house. It has like a little slide that leads out of it, so he jumps not onto the interior of the slide the way he normally would, but on the exterior of it and slides down to go find out who these new cats are that are encroaching on his turf. Yes, he's heard a rumor. And he doesn't care how tough these cats think they are. Nobody breaks into his turf. Riff Raff really sounds like he has a sinus problem. Scene two, uh, where Riff Raff uh, walks around the corner, comes along a mansion where we see all of these female cats hanging out of uh, the windows. There's like dozens of them hanging out the windows of this mansion. Mm-hmm. And we see the Cadillac cats on the front lawn of this place singing to the female cats, trying to get their attention. Adam, yes. and would, you, a, would you say that they were cat-calling them? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <sighs> yes, I would. And I feel shamed for the fact that I would say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yikes. At this point, the old lady that owns this uh, mansion with all these cats yells out, go away, you top cats, and then dumps a bucket of water onto Hector. And you hear laughter in the background. They turn and they see riffraff laughing, rolling around on the ground. I get a real Tweety's owner from uh, the right. old woman cat it's lady. Proper grand. Well, yep. if you want to yeah. sing and use that throat, try at least to hit the right note. 
Jesus. That, that is Wordsworth. That's perfect, Mike. Yeah. That's great. You're hired. <laughs> Boop. <laughs> uh, Mike, are you an honorary slide flutman? I'm a flutman. Yeah, you'll get your dues, uh, your dues owed in the mail. In fact, I think uh, at the end of this, we should do a, a reel of sound effects so that David can interdisperse it throughout the episode. I 100% agree. <laughs> David, David, you got to get those flashcards so you can hold up each different thing you want us to emulate. So the end of the scene. Choo-choo-choo! Riff Raff tells the Cadillac Cats, you know, sit back and watch how it's done. I'm going to get into this place with all these ladies. And all he does is ring the doorbell and then walk over to a window and wave at the girls inside and then goes back to the front door. And Gran opens the door, uh, sees he uh, Riff Raff there, and says, go away. Pulls the rug out from underneath Riff Raff, the welcome mat out from underneath him, and then tosses it on top of him as he's like prone after being knocked down. And then all the other Cadillac cats are laughing at him, and he says something along the lines of, Nothing's going to keep me out of that house. Nothing. Yes. And he makes a vow, away. and in, in cartoons, a vow is legally binding. This is like the first part of like the really gross part of the movie. Him vowing to get into the house, presumably to. Fornicate. Go have his way with all these other cats. Yes. Uh, there is a brief scene before we start learning about the ways in which he'll get into this house that serves really no purpose. And At that, all. yeah. Yeah. That is when he um, beats up and humiliates, I called him Captain Dog, but a, uh, a dog guard of the junkyard. Yeah. And he does this by just kicking a uh, tire up in the air, and the tire lands around the dog, and then the dog just sort of rolls away. And yes. really the whole purpose of that is just to show that Riff Raff has some sort of power over this dog. And he says something along the lines of like, well, now that that's done, time to get to the business. He calls him a crushing boar yeah. um, in a way that made me very unhappy with Riff Raff as a person. Yeah, there was no reason for it because that's his home too. It's established at the beginning of the episode that that's where Riff Raff lives. Yeah, so him and yeah. the dog live in the same place and then he just came in and, and beat up the dog for no good reason. Presumably they live in the same place. But you also have to, t to take into account that this junkyard is massive. The expanse of this junkyard just goes on for miles. You, you see it off of the horizon. It's like so, a plot junkyard. It's as big yeah. as you need it for the plot. Gotcha. So, presumably, the dog could be living in one part of the junkyard, whereas Riff Raff lives in the other part. Who knows? But, you are right in the sense that it seems like they have a relationship and they could just avoid each other instead of antagonizing each other the way the Riff Raff did. Yeah, and it's also, like, clearly Riff Raff has the upper hand in the entire encounter. All we learn is that Riff Raff abuses his power. Yeah. yeah. Well, the dog doesn't do leg day. <laughs> you're right his violence is justified because yeah he skipped leg day like a fucking animal nice nice so anyway Riff Raff we, we start to see a little bit more uh, MacGyver Riff Raff at this point in time he, MacGyver uh, he starts um, scratching through a bunch of junk and he settles on a mattress that he pulls out 
and uh, there are springs sticking out, and he grabs the springs out of it. So and but he you, sits on the yeah. spring, <laughs> and the pointy end of the spring disappears. Mm. I, I, as soon as I saw that, I immediately was like, "Oh, that seems so uncomfortable." But he seemed to, he seemed to be enjoying it. So, anyway, he steals several springs. Well, he lands on one spring, and then he looks over and sees another spring sticking out of the mattress, and he pulls that one out, and he says, "These will do nicely." So we then go into a like a, I actually just call this all one scene, scene mm-hmm. four, uh, a series of vignettes of Riff Raff trying to get into this house in various ways. Yeah, this is a classic like Looney Tune, um, uh, uh, Wiley I kick. Key coyote sequence where he tries a series of things to achieve his ultimate goal, and that's kind of the whole plot of the episode is him failing to do these different Time things. Again. Yeah. yeah. So the first one is him on springs. He tries to jump up to like the second story window of the place. Uh, the entire time, the Cadillac cats are standing in the front yard to witness all of this. Um, but he jumps up, Grant thwarts him by um, airing out a or shaking out a rug off of that that top floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so he gets knocked down, walks off, and I think every time he walks off, he he reaffirms his vow. Yes, nothing is going to keep me out of this house. Yeah, nothing at all will ever stop him from yeah. achieving climax. <laughs> so the second uh, vignette is him dressing up like a baby kitten mm-hmm. and then ringing the doorbell to try to sneak his way in, classic uh, Bugs Bunny style, and he winds up. Um, getting past Grant initially and then gets set down in the middle of the living room and all of these uh, female cows, cats start freaking out all over him. And that's when Grant comes back in and is like, oh, no, you don't. You get out of here. Yep, she, she realizes quickly what's going on. She she tosses the baby basket with uh, Riff Raff in it out the door. So the third uh, attempt is Riff Raff building stilts while also putting on a chimney sweep uniform mm-hmm. as if he's pretending to be a chimney sweep and i guess this is one of those ones where we can look at some weird anachronism associated with this do you think that he was actually fooling anybody by putting on the chimney sweep uniform because frequently chimney sweeps just walk around town on these massive stilts to access the roof um well uh first of all chim chimney Chim chimney chim chim cheru, but second, were chimney sweeps even a thing in the states? I feel like chimney sweeps was like a London thing. Like it goes back to the eighteen hundreds, like you were saying. You know, yeah. it, it it was for a brief time here, but uh, it fell out of fashion uh, for one reason or another. You think that like they realized chimney sweeps were bullshit? I feel like they were a unionized job in in England, um, <laughs> and in the eighties they and, got rid and of in the, the union, uh, union busting ups. Uh, the chimney sweeps were the first uh, first charter to go. You think, well, the, think chim- the chimney flutemans yeah. were uh... chimney flutemans? <laughs> so I've got the episode kind of playing in the background as as you're going through Adam, and I, something I overlooked the first time, first couple times I watched this, when he gets onto the roof and he's approaching the chimney. There's a very visible door in the tower of the house right next to him. Why oh, didn't yeah, he just go in that door? Or go into one of the second or third story windows. Because he's yeah. on the same height. Yeah, and all yeah. of those windows are open. So, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Um, and, and the other question I have about chimney sweeps. 
<laughs> okay. What, what what's the leading death of chimney sweeps? <laughs> well, yeah. What is the chief cause of death of chimney sweep? It's shingles. Yeah, it's the adult Ooh. form of, uh, <laughs> of chicken pox. Yeah. I don't think that shingles is uh, actually will actually kill you, but maybe I'm wrong. It, it kills chimney sweeps. <laughs> so the the whole chimney sweep part um, breaks down with uh, Grand like suddenly getting getting uh, a shiver, getting freezing, and she has to suddenly build like a roaring bonfire right away, and this lights uh, Riff Raff's ass on fire, and he goes shooting out of the chimney, landing in a bird bath to cool his ass off. Mind yep. you, the episode looks like it takes place in the middle of the summer. Like, yeah. it is definitely not the winter. And actually, shingles is a primarily a disease that affects roofers. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to have to rescind David's dad joke of the night and uh, reissue that to Mike. Thank you. Hello, shingles. I'm dad. Shingles is supposed to be incredibly painful. So I, if anyone, yeah. if any of our listeners are suffering from shingles, I apologize on behalf of Mike. He oh, just didn't me, mean yes. that. He didn't mean that. If, if we if we have offended you, um, we apologize. And if we haven't offended you, just please fuck, stand fuck by. You. Actually, no, yeah. no, no. If we if we've offended you, please send comments to our email address. David, what's our email address again? Monotonously terrific at amazingly terrible dot com. Good luck spelling that, you motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I I hope. I mean, at this rate, we're going to get mostly emails from like English, Penis yeah, pills. English teachers, English teachers, English teachers. <laughs> correcting our grammar, right? <laughs> We're like, why is it that Adam keeps mispronouncing nuclear? <laughs> yeah, I believe you yeah. guys use semicolon incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, and it is sem- slide flautist. <laughs> slide flautist. Side <laughs> it, it is a skin flautist. <laughs> oh, God. It's okay. not woke to say man, so it's not a slidesman. <laughs> so, so the it's final... The final bit of this whole vignette, of these series of vignettes, is um, uh, at the end of that that attempt where he lands in the bird bath, a riffraff enlists the help of the Cadillac cats. Yes, he does. And what they do for the next round is they actually stand on top of each other. They stack on top of each other inside of a trench coat. Yeah, classic. Before they enact this classic part of the scene, they drive the Cadillac from the Cadillac Cats, from the junkyard, up to the house, all piled together in this trench coat. So they, they worked out a way to, like, operate me- uh, mechanics, very sophisticated mechanics, while in this weird Cadillac Cat Voltron uh, configuration. I honestly completely missed that scene. So anyway, this last, this last vignette, this last piece, they're in this giant trench coat all stacked up and she's like what is this opens the trench coat which is kind of a dangerous move wherever you are <laughs> really um you don't you don't know what's happening yeah yeah there's either a watches or nothing in there yeah exactly yeah. um 
She opens her trench coat and she sees all the cats stacked there. And really, it's just sort of like the surprise of seeing a bunch of cats piled together trying to make up the composition of a man that, that leaves her stunned for a moment. And that's when Riff Raff is able to just rush past her. I think he even kind of like pushes her out of the way to a certain extent. And then clo- closes the door and locks it behind him. So he's now broken into Grant's house and locked her out. So they finally break into the house by using their superior numbers to just push back past the guard. And then Riff Raff is there just sitting there on a throne with his Confederate flag and his uh, bison cap. <laughs> yeah, Too it's soon, like, David. It's like Grand just opened the door for them. Too soon. And gave them directions. Uh-huh. <laughs> there were people in her parlor telling her this, that it was going to happen. We're going down that road. (laughs) And let's quickly get off that road. Uh, David always makes it real. You notice that Heathcliff wasn't there at all. Do you think he he made a speech? I think he did. And he said that he was going to be there with them. But instead, he went home to watch the news. Yep. And tweet about it. (laughs) Jinx. (laughs) And, And now he's like, okay, time for my harem of cat ladies to please me he goes and sits down on a pillow in the middle of the parlor and is soon overwhelmed by all of the lady cats mm-hmm. and they're all kissing him all over they're all uh uh saying his name over and over again like yes oh, riffraff oh riffraff they're chanting riffraff riffraff yep so they they just sort of go nuts over him he then gets a bit of a panic on and he starts to freak out and he starts evading them and this turns into a chase scene where he runs all over the this house trying to avoid all of the lady cats. And this this house is fucking huge. It's a weird layout. It is a very weird layout, but it is huge. It's a rich High cat ceilings. ladies, crazy cat ladies house. Yes. It, it is a giant crazy cat ladies house. He gets trapped in a vase. The vase rolls down the banister. He also eventually one ends of, up... One of two staircases, too. Rolls down one of two staircases. Yes. He eventually ends up swinging from the chandelier after and, going up a, the second staircase. And he, he slams into the front door, shatters the vase off of himself. He then unlocks the door, steps aside as Grand comes running in, saying, what happened in here? Like she didn't know. And then he runs out the front door. And as Mm -hmm. soon as he runs out the front door, all of the Cadillac cats are in awe because he also has all of these... um, Kiss marks. uh, Yeah, what do you call those? They actually have a specific name, don't they? Lipstick marks. Lipstick. Lipstick kiss marks. Yeah, lipstick marks. Yeah, they're lipstick kiss marks, but I think they have like a specific name. So yeah, so Riff Raff is covered in these lipstick marks and these uh, kiss outlines of lipstick all over his face. Evidence of fornication and infidelity. Fuckery. Infidelity, yes. Yes. And, but all of the Cadillac cats are at all. They're like, wow, that's some cat. I think that's what they say. That's some cat. He's strutting his stuff as he's walking out of the house. Again, mind you, on top of everything else, going into why he's he's there isn't even any real substance there, is he did nothing. He was He broke into this house to get with these ladies and then chickened out and ran away. Not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it's still like him taking false praise for something he did not do sometimes too much of a good thing is bad 
<laughs> is what he says, I think. <laughs> um, it is, I mean, it's inferred uh, to the Cadillac cats that he fucked all of them. He fucked all the lady cats in that house. Yeah. In the matter of like a minute, two minutes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he got yeah. to it's work. Like, probably not really something to be proud of. But All the Cadillac cats thinks he is so cool. Yeah. And they make and- statements to that effect. And he struts out off the property, and as he's strutting off to the off of the property, his girlfriend comes up. And Mike, uh, what, you want to tell us about his girlfriend? Yeah, Mike, uh, tell us about your vested interest here. So, twenty minutes and forty seconds into the episode, is <laughs> <laughs> when it gets real, people. Yeah, we're going on a masturba journey with you. I feel set up here, guys. <laughs> at, at least, you know, if you're going to bring the bus out and, and throw me under it. Um, it better be a bang bus. <laughs> better be a bus with the leg warmers. Uh, this is what happens when Mike is sober. <laughs> yeah, when I'm, when I'm drunk, I ramble on and on, and you have to, like, fade me in and out, and now I'm just struggling to come up with something funny to say, but... You don't have to be funny. Just tell us your your thoughts and emotions about this cartoon cat. About the 80s furry that showed up. (laughs) I I think what really... I I think what really did it was the leg warmers and the implied (laughs) leotard that she's wearing. It's just um, really uh, captured that... uh, sexual jazzercise vibe that the 80s had going on where um, if you're going to work out uh, you've got to be overtly sexual about it if it's if you're you know doing the exercise and if you're watching it then it's got to be entertaining because you know clearly back then I guess guys must have like watched jazz their you know girlfriend's jazzercise just to watch um what not Denise Austin, um, Suzanne Summers or something like that in yeah leg warmers. It's like jerking off to your mom's younger friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so she's definitely drawn sexually. Uh, she has like slightly bigger he- hair. Oh, Cleo! I just looked it up. Her name is her Cleo. name is Cleo. Okay, yeah, yeah. She she's obviously wearing leg warmers. She also has like a tuft of fur on her chest, making it look like. She's got boobies of some type, and um, purple eyeshadow. Yeah, she's got purple eyeshadow. So she's she's definitely designed to be like more of a, um, yeah, I guess just more of a sexy cat of some type. I feel um, like she, Wordsworth, and Hector are the most eighties cats of the show. Yeah, they're certainly she, cool cats. I, I think that she's like a close third, though, honestly. I'm, she might. I, I mean, she might be the most '80s. I agree with Matt on that one. She yeah, because like, of the legs. Hector and Wordsworth <laughs> are just kind of, yeah. But she screams '1980s workout attire. Well, Cleo, uh, she shows up and she's mad. Yeah, yeah, she sees all the kiss marks on his face, and she's like, "Why you two timing?" And she uh, storms off, uh, obviously with the impression that they are broken up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Basically, she calls him a slut, takes off, and Riffraff ends with the immortal words of Nero. Well, you can't have everything, or can you? (laughs) 
this everybody was laughs like, such a weird way. This yeah, this was like the disgusting kicker on the top of a really kind of disgusting a second segment. Ha- yeah. segment. Yeah, uh, this really like uh, I, I don't know what it was, but th- this part was like yeah, this was really made by like French Canadians. Uh, this part really feels <laughs> no offense real... to French Canadians. No, 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 definitely offense to you, <laughs> French Canadians. I'm on to you. Uh, no, it, it feels um quite gross. The whole girl chasing vibe was is, is like such an '80s thing. Yes, and not not always, not even like a. a a for all time and uh, every time period thing at all. No, only the 80s in which men were attracted to women. For the rest of history, that wasn't really a thing at all, and men didn't do weird, gross stuff. It wasn't 80. syndicated. <laughs> Good point. I think that's like it, this was marketed to kids. Um, and I mean, Porky's and Animal House and. You know, back to school, you could say, I don't even know what the ratings are. They were probably PG based on the weird MPAA ratings back then. But um, the the level of child exposure to catcalling and, you know, flandering behavior is just interesting to see in a cartoon that showed up early on in the Saturday morning block. I, yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you in that, like, as a as a a true kid before the age of about 12, their motivations would have been very much a mystery to me. Well, I would have to say that as a, as a kid who watched this, I did watch it for Cleo. And and this episode is typical of how much she appeared in the show. Oh, really? It was a horrible tease to see her in the credits, the opening credits. And then, have her show up 20 minutes in for all of 15 seconds. Yeah. So we really not even like flunked the Bechdel test. We like took the Bechdel <laughs> test out back into our dirt uh, alley and like just beat it <laughs> in a, like much. a dust cloud. Yeah. yeah. None, none of the female characters in the show are developed at all. Maybe oh, yeah. grandma. Which grandma? <laughs> there were two of them. That's true. <laughs> Heathcliff grandma seems to have like a little more robust, mostly because she's on Heathcliff's side. Yeah, and she also, you know, she she demonstrates her emotions, maybe not in the most healthy way, but at the very least, she does telegraph them by shattering a plate when she, Grandpa pisses her off. <laughs> she does seem to yes. have like good management of everyone in her life. She manages kid. Uh, she manages Heathcliff. And she manages grumpy old grandpa pretty well. So is she the real power behind Heathcliff? That's a good question. Do you think she's like? Uh, Did she uh, like teach him like how to how to control everyone else? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like yeah. she's an case, en- yeah. like she's an enabling mom, like who is overprotective and he can do no wrong, which enables his behavior and gives him this kind of free reign to do it because he knows he could always go run behind her leg literally and everything will be okay i kind of agree with you in that like in a lot of ways grandpa is kind of the hero in terms of like 
he's the hero of this story in that he kind of sees through Heathcliff's bullshit and uh, and the reign of tyranny that Heathcliff has over the neighborhood. At the same time, though, he's not a strong male role model because all he does is yell at Heathcliff and put him down. So in Heathcliff's mind, uh, or any young man's mind, he would see that as an overbearing father that doesn't see anything about him. And all he does is, uh, you know, verbally abuse and, and physically abuse him. So, you know, you have this power dynamic of parents who probably don't talk very well together and communicate. So you have this overprotective and enabling mom and this abusive uh and disengaged father. Interesting. Can we get into the most interesting and shocking part of this episode? Let's do it. Yeah, the the button, the ending part. The yes. PSA? Where Heathcliff is trying to teach kids how to feed their hamster. Oh, yes. Eating the hamster. <laughs> this is came this a, completely out of the blue. Is this a normal theme? Like, I haven't seen other, I don't remember other episodes. Does There's definitely do? like a, th- in, in all, a lot of 80s cartoons, there is like a PSA at the end to make it quote unquote educational. Yep. Is, uh, is this what South Park lampoons like all the time? Where, and, and today we learned, and just to make fun of all the 80s and 90s shows that always had this like lesson at the end? I think a little bit. But, but this, I mean, if the lesson was to feed your hamster watermelon rinds i sort of missed them missed that in the uh in the episode well you gotta feed your hamster every day and around the same time of day (laughs) yeah it just it it would it threw back to nothing in the episode it was just an instructional nothing in the episode and also like no it doesn't involve like there's no hamster anywhere in this world like, you didn't even see a hamster in the background in some of these kids' houses or anything. I mean, it's, it's thematically just... connected in that a lot of Heathcliff's whole um, deal is about feed, feeding a, uh, a a pet. And not only that, the watermelon rind actually gets stuck in the hamster's mouth, and as he's shaking it, it's rotating his entire head uh, shape. Uh, yeah. So clearly that <laughs> hamster is suffocating and dying, and Heathcliff is just sitting there laughing as um, as this mm. hamster suffers. Is so, that is that anatomically correct? Is that what happens to hamsters? Well, they have a skull that's uh, you know mammals have an endoskeleton, um, mm-hmm. which is made out of uh, carbonate materials, so it's inflexible. So most uh, mammalian skulls will not deform in that manner. Thank you, Mike. Gattaca. <laughs> so, Matt, um, what, what your theory is suggesting that the theme in this entire episode is, is feeding pets. Uh, what you're suggesting is there is a hierarchy to these pets, though. Mm. And the hamster is actually Heathcliff's pet because he's the one feeding it. Oh, interesting. That So, like... Uh, in the cartoon world of uh, uh, of Heathcliff, uh, there are pets for pets, and Heathcliff have his own pets. Do you think the hamster has its own level of pets, like mitochondria? Fleas. Yeah, fleas, mitochondria, yeah. insects. Yeah, I was gonna say, let's let's get on with this. What's yeah. next? Derek, we talked you- about. We already talked about like how we felt about this cartoon. This particular episode, how did everybody feel about that? I still liked it. I know there was a lot of problems with it. It was very problematic. 
the second episode, the second episode, I kind of, you know, just sort of ran through it real quick and took notes. I, I didn't really enjoy that aspect of it, but I did like a lot of the different tropes that they were showing up in the Heathcliff, uh, Heathcliff segment. The second episode was very problematic in its like depiction of women. And uh, the fact that essentially, like, you know, for most women, all you need is access and then they will try to fornicate with you. Um, And also, like, there is no mistake you make with your female companion that cannot be recovered from. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that the appropriate thing to do is once you realize your harem goal is to immediately bolt out of there. Tell us about your harem goals, Mike. Well, I wouldn't chicken shit out. That's for sure. <laughs> You'd get in there and mix it up. I wouldn't be like, whoa, too much of a good thing is bad. Uh, yeah. All these vaginas are scary to me. <laughs> I can't handle this power dynamic. <laughs> so watching watching the episode start to finish, uh, a, a, a recent Reddit post where somebody was talking about like movies that you remember from when you were a teenager or whatever, and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen had come up, mm. and somebody on Reddit Why? was like, man, I love that movie. I should go watch it again. And the, the very next response to it was, you don't want to do that. You want to keep yeah. the movie the yep. way you remember it and not the way it is. And that's exactly what I felt watching Heathcliff is the fact that mm. I – the opening credits happened, and I'm like, whoa, here I am, five years old again, eating a bowl of kicks, watching this show. And by the end of it, I was like, what the <laughs> fuck did I just watch? <laughs> I would even say for like that specific example, for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Jesus Christ. Um, look, just don't watch the movie. Go read the comic. That's yeah. fine. You will have a good time yeah, with the comic. Yeah. This may be an unpopular opinion, but I feel like The Fifth Element has aged really well. Like, I've gone back and watched that. That was 1998, and that's a really good movie. I don't know. I think The Fifth Element probably still holds up pretty well. You got Gary Oldman as, like, a crazy bad guy. It does what it's supposed to. Like, it was designed to be garbage, and it continues that tradition. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good, it's It's a pulp. Look at it. Yeah. It's, it's a pulp. It's... it's so if you sit down and you just want to watch it to be entertained and you are not looking any deeper than surface value, The Fifth Element continues to be entertaining. And it's like it a Michael Bay movie. It has aged well. <laughs> <laughs> like like a Michael Bay explosion. <laughs> Why do you continue to make us worse? Boop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is the sound that Mike's butthole makes. So, David, what did you think of the episode? I mean, I really didn't remember that many details about the show. Yeah. And, I mean, this is sort of what you could expect from a a cartoon from this time. Like I said, the the theme song really did bring bring back some good feelings. The theme song, for me as well, it, it hit like your olfactory system is part of your hindbrain. You mispronounced that. It's olifasori. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Your olifasori system is like wired into your hindbrain, and that's why smells will often trigger like very uh, distinct memories. Um, but that song kind of definitely triggered that for all of us, that it hit yeah. a real – it really triggered that nostalgia dopamine uh, right into our brains. 
Well, there could also like there might have even been a little bit of that synesthesia that, that was associated with it, where like like you actually like kind of like oh yeah, I taste you know the cereal I used to eat while I was sitting around watching cartoons when I was a kid. All right, so the the loaded and important question here uh, for three of the five cast members tonight: mm-hmm. Would you let your kid watch this, Matt? This is, this is going to be part of her sitting down on the chair, clockwork ward style, with her eyelids <laughs> held open, with Matt dripping uh, the milk from his Fruit Loops into her eyeballs to keep them moistened. Again, Fruit Loops abstract will be dripped into her eyes <laughs> in order to watch this. <laughs> as she's, as she's in, taking it all in. Yeah, yeah. As I as I and, inject and, pure sugar into her veins. And make her uh, snort Cocoa pebble, Pebbles powder. I'll be honest, uh, uh, which, and I'm going to say no for two reasons. One, um, it's trying hard to be one of these classic cartoons. Why not just show her one of those classic cartoons so that she has it like straight from the source? And then two, it says really gross things about male-female relationships, especially in the second half, that um, honestly, like, jokes aside, was a a big turnoff, not very yeah, fun. I mean, it, I mean, it definitely felt gross. Like it just felt gross. Yeah. Um. So, like, it's not. It's trying real hard to be a classic, but it's it's not. It's just kind of parodying the form. In that case, there are significantly more fun cartoons to see that take place in cartoon land uh, that I think she'd enjoy more. That also are not disgustingly sexist. They're just relations against Japanese people. <laughs> we'll just say my my sweetest darling daughter, uh, who I love to an inordinate degree, should not watch this cartoon. All right, Mike, Mike you're you're two you're two babies. Would you let them watch this? I'm going to be guessing. Yes, because it might shut them up for 12 minutes. <laughs> you might be able to go have a quick shot of rum. Yeah. I always wonder what my parents did while I was watching cartoons, because they disappeared. So, <laughs> I... <laughs> I mean, it was the 80s. They were snorting coke. Yeah. And then not just like little Easy. figurefuls or little spoonfuls. They were doing whole lines. Full well, lines. They had, but... they had like the pastry bag filled with it, and they just snipped the end off of it and then jammed it up there. <laughs> <laughs> They probably had one of those like powdered sugar cranks. They, well, they would just powder their whole bed. Well, my, my dad was kind of handy, so he actually had the um, the uh, contractor like uh, cock tube gun. Oh yeah, yeah, they're yeah. squeezing the cock tube and it just. Um, I, I would so they say, would put that up their butthole. What's the easiest way to get it? You know, get a good hit. I well, I mean, yeah, your butthole. Rod Stewart, right? Wasn't he the one that would would load it up into the suppository capsules and he'd shove it up his ass so he didn't ruin his nose cavity? I don't know, have any information to back that up, so I'm going to say 110% that that is true, and he would put it up his butt, and then he would run around all naked, screaming about how he loved cocaine. you got to hand it to these, like, 80s rockers. They have, like... Ozzy Osbourne has done every drug under the sun, and this guy is still kicking. Is he? Yes, yes, but it's involuntary. Did he die recently? Involuntary. (laughs) 
Okay, Mike, sorry, we never got an answer from you in so, terms of watching, letting your children watch this. For for my girl... Uh, okay, we got different yeah, roles. Well, I don't know. I, I have reservations because I remember watching it as a kid and I turned out fine. <laughs> <laughs> that is a bold statement, Mike. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um, define fine. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not good at definitions. So, um, <laughs> but I probably wouldn't let boy watch it, and not for the obvious reasons we've talked about. For me, the flagrant violence is mm. what he would latch onto. The you know I'm gonna moiter them and. I'm going to kick their butts and the constant fighting of Heathcliff and the abuse of, you know, just the physical abuse and um, the even like the like the slapstick of the three stooges could be taken the wrong way where I tried to do that to my sister with disastrous results. So I feel like boy would latch on to the violent aspects of the cartoon and not pick up on any of the sexual or misogynistic aspects, but he would just see um, the the fight scenes and say, oh, cool. It is and true that, I mean, your sister is blind from all the eye pokes, right? Certainly. <laughs> uh, so that would be my primary concern is, is the sexual aspects would be over their heads, but the, mm. the violence is what they would be able to pick up and process. Um, I, I mean, he was like three years old and picked up a stick and went bang, bang. I don't even know where he got that from. And it's like, it, it's talking <laughs> about all of the cartoons that he <laughs> Easily. It, it, it's probably like because that, like that stick was loaded. <laughs> I told him not to point it at anybody, so <laughs> treat it like it's loaded. Yeah, that's when he murdered the milkman. <laughs> so that would that'd be my take on it, is that I feel like uh, for a young child, they would see the... the uh, physical violence aspect of it. Interesting. I, I that's an interesting take, Mike. In that, like, I I'm also I'm I'm often concerned about the sexual dynamic, uh, but you're more like practical in terms. Of, like, no, I don't want these kids fucking murdering each other. There's <laughs> a different just dynamic. Destroying together. the house, attacking each other. Yeah. Right. With, Whereas, with... like, a lot of my concerns are kind of abstract now because uh, my my darling daughter is literally a lump. <laughs> Like she, she's very sweet, and I love her very much. But there's not a lot of higher activity happening what? on there. Uh, yeah, mine's actually a lot, a lot shorter and a lot on the surface. I just at the end of the episode just kind of didn't like it. Like, yeah, there was the nostalgia factor there and and everything else, and just, I mean, yeah, it was it was it was, guy, you know, thematically inappropriate for 2020. I understand this was was this was the 80s, but. I was excited to watch the show because I remembered it and we got into it and then I was just kind of, it fell flat. And to go back to what Matt said, if I'm going to show my kids something that, that throws back to like the classic cartoon, the classic slapstick tropes of, of what this cartoon is trying to emulate, I'll just show them that. I'll show them classic Looney Tunes, you yeah. know, because that's, that's where it all started. Instead of this, this just, it fell flat. It was, I remember watching it as a kid, but again, to go back, like 
I would have just rather kept this one in my memory as like, yeah, I remember watching Heathcliff as opposed to going back as an adult and watching it and going, oh, that that kind of sucked. Well, Derek, I'm I'm glad that our podcast could ruin this for you. Can we all agree that the hey, first minute good. is the best? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Think that I that mean, we, we could, the song including going, the intro. Yeah. We, we could yeah. all let our kids watch the first minute of this episode. <laughs> Yeah. If yeah. we're gonna do that, let's let's have them watch the first minute of Cops because that's like infinitely better in terms of <laughs> no, like no, no. learning how to put together a, a good, uh, fast, well cut intro. <laughs> yeah, they, true. They, they get to watch the first minute of everything that we're watching, but that's it. <laughs> and it's like back to back to back to back to back. I would <laughs> I would love to get my daughter's take on this. Actually, like have her watch this and say, "What do you think of this?" That. That's an episode, Mike. <laughs> so, which one's first, David? One Universe Theory or Dirty 30? Well, I think that uh, we created Dirty 30 because in most of these children's shows, the sexuality was really being repressed. And in <laughs> and in Brave Star in particular, logic was being repressed as they tried to, like, squeeze everything into this, like, deep right Republican mindset and that like pushed out all of these subconscious sexual t- tones into the show there's no but... room for fucking in red america <laughs> except in this show <laughs> except which was yeah 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 the, yeah the thing is in this show i, I don't know they, they do it's deal kind of with in your face. sexual things yeah yeah well they're they're trying to do like the sexual comedy that was prevalent in the 80s like we were talking about earlier with porkies and mm-hmm. revenge of the nerds and those others like sexual rops through like college campuses i mean i I would even say that like this feels this is i mean maybe this is terrible to say but uh this feels distinctly like french in terms of the thinking about sex and uh male female relationships the theme song states explicitly that there is like a competition a competition to get with women and that women are a form of conquests and men, these male Tomcats are like competing with each other in order to get with different women. And that's how they prove that they are more or less masculine than each other. Maybe we're overthinking this. These are just literally cats and (laughs) all cats do is eat, sleep and fuck. Sure. They're just talking cats talking anthropomorphized tool using clothing wearing cats yeah animated cats cats. uh anyway no no i think i think that's a pretty good point because there's even like a very so aside from that there's also a very distinctive like benny hill feeling to this too Mm. where there's like a lot of like sort of chasing around there's almost like the reverse benny hill once he gets inside the house where he's like oh i gotta get away from these crazy women Mm. And like him running while the girls are chasing him, and I, I could, I could actually hear that playing in the background while he's running around the house. Go on. I, I think basically it's because they can't show what happens next in a child's cartoon. They're they're constrained by the fact that if he actually got his way, he this would turn into like uh, American hentai. <laughs> Uh, that's kind of an interesting point, Mike. You're right. Like, w- what if uh, Riff Raff was like, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> more of this. Sort of, there's just sort of like a sensor bar, and then you just hear the, like, even more moaning from the female cats going, right. oh, Riff Raff. 
Well, it's I mean it's worse because uh, cats have barbed penises. Oh God! <laughs> oh, here we go. Going here. <laughs> Let's get into it, gentlemen. I can't wait till we do ducktails because ducks' penises are, are corkscrews. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's yeah. I think Problem. we've beaten that dead horse enough. So, so we're, Speaking we're, of we're horses, going into dirty thirty because well, well, did anyone our face. did did anyone have anything for this second? Uh, honestly, not. Really. It's on the fucking nose the entire like, yeah. second half. <laughs> Maybe just uh, riff raff jumping onto the spring. Like, that was kind of weird and kinky mm. feeling at the moment. Because, like, as he jumped on it, I was like, oh, that's going to hurt. It's poking him in the ass. And then he, like, seemed to be happy about it. So. I think we should talk about the relationship between Grandma and Grandpa in the Heathcliff section. Mm. Do you think so, love is dead between them? So like we're going to go more ancient. to the relationship part, not necessarily even, like, the sex. I mean, that that's what sex is about. It's about the relationship, Adam. Well, you know what? What I couldn't get out of my head was there's grandparents and there's a grandchild and there's a missing generation. There. Yeah. yeah, they were shipped off to the war. Yeah, I was going to say this does take place in the nebulous 1940s time frame of World War II. So obviously, Mom took advantage of her German roots and went back home to join the Luftwaffe <laughs> to join the and motherland. Dad was conscripted into the U.S. Army. And the two of them died on the, co- on the field of combat facing off against each other. See, I, I, I would I would disagree, and I feel like there's a time frame in which this happens. Okay. So, like, yes, I agree. Dad died in World War II, but Mom went off to be a flapper in the 1920s. <laughs> Ooh. After awesome. Dad died. <laughs> right. World War II, right. Time yeah. has no meaning because, in cartoon yeah. land. I like that. I like that. Or maybe, maybe Dad died in World War II and Mom couldn't stick around because her dear son reminded her too much of her dead husband. Mm-hmm. And those, the grandparents were actually her in laws and she just had to get away from them. So she moved next door and gave birth to Marcy. And oh, now she's sh- dead on the inside. Oh, while whoa. She God son, damn it, Adam. Her son is off uh, on his own adventures, occasionally stopping in to say hi to Marcy, and she just can't even bring herself to say, hey, your brother and sister, as she's fearfully watching their uh, kindling romance bud as children. We gotta she's that's just, why she's all whacked out on lithium. Yeah, that's uh, a... Yeah, laudanum, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, there's a real fucking Lone Star kind of scenario here where she's like, Ooh. they're gonna fuck, but the, they're too young. I'll just do more drugs. I can't I can't stop this, but I can't. I gotta do something. I gotta yeah, kitty, kitty, eat some it. chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I kill their favorite pet in front of them, it'll traumatize them enough that they won't fuck. <laughs> I'm going to leave just a little bit of milk at the bottom of these <laughs> things to poison the cat, and then maybe they'll die. You All know right. what's so funny? It's just watching Mike's face as he's like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? Because this is the first time he's hearing us sober at this point in time of the night. <laughs> yeah. Mike's rethinking yeah. his whole friendship with us. <laughs> I'm just wondering what I normally do at this point. I, I think I'm like, the lights are on, but nobody's home. Yeah, no, no, you pass out. Usually you're passed you... out, yeah. 
Yeah, the, the lights are off. Show me some and the lights are gone. Usually we... if we're role-playing, we'll hear snoring coming from the <laughs> box right. on you the uh, screen. So. Yeah. Adam, I like the concept that Marcy's mom is kid's mom uh, from another husband. Mm-hmm. I, I think the question is, who is Marcy's dad? The milkman. Ooh. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> this is another level. It's the milkman. It's always the milkman, right? Mm-hmm. Who cares if he's 80? Gotta be. Oof. Poor, poor milkman. It's always interesting to think about that they de- often depict the milkman as old. Does that mean that like being a milkman is like a late stage career, or it's like something that you stay in because it's so like stable and like l- and sustaining that you'd be like, well, I'll just do this past retirement, whatever. I think it's more the latter. And it's also because they don't have any 401k or any uh, retirement plans for milkmen, so they have to work until they die. I, I think it's a retirement gig. Like you know, they don't have like a milk repository where they like just store up all that precious milk. <laughs> I, I thought it was because it's an anachronistic job, and there's like a hiring freeze. We're like, okay, when this guy retires. Everyone we, just has to go to the store to get milk. Yeah, we don't have anybody to replace them, like butchers nowadays. Yeah. I mean, I, related to what I related, what I talked about earlier, when I worked as a plumber uh, in a construction site, uh, there's a real age gap. There is a lot of young people doing construction, and there are a lot of very old people doing construction, but there's nobody mid-career. I was assumed it was kind of like a retirement Uber gig, where it's like <laughs> supplementing their income. Mm. <laughs> like their, their post-retirement, like their union... Uh, yeah. Retirement. Yeah. No, I can see that too because it's like one of those retiring, one of those retirement uh, gigs. Also, where you get to go like talk to people every day. You go up to the somebody's house, and be like, "Oh, you got any milk? No, let me tell you about the war." <laughs> yeah, you got any milk? <laughs> well, I'm dying because our culture has failed me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's low impact. I mean, you carry a little thing around and you drive around all day. Shall we go to? One universe theory. This is yes. going to be a good one here. I think actually Matt really kind of wrapped this up in the one universe theory with there are a lot of cartoons that take place in this cartoon universe that spans from turn of, you know, turn of the set, turn of, well, I guess two centuries ago, last century, whatever you want to call it, from about 1900 to about 1955. And it's this just kind of time is fluid, like stuff is stuff that would be, you know, common in the early part of the century to, like, mid-century modern, it all just kind of happens together. And uh, I don't know if we've specifically viewed an episode that kind of takes place in in this cartoon timeline universe or whatever, but like you said, it seems like a lot of cartoons take place in this weird 50-ish year block that's kind of all smashed together. Yeah, I mean, it's a nebulous cartoon land in which they are st- the stakes are very low. It's like cats and dogs and mice fighting. It's like yeah. very domestic stakes. I don't, I don't see any that we've specifically watched that that falls into it. But I'm sure we'll we'll come across an episode in the future where we're like, oh yeah, that totally took place in the in the Heathcliff timeline, because that's it's it's all the same. Is it the 1950s? Is it the 1910s? Who knows? But it's all somewhere in there i feel like the junkyard is gonna get tied in somehow that's gonna yes. be like the mm. nexus right there i agree with you both in that like the 
the junkyard and the Cadillac cats seem to possess a level of technology that allows them to like move between time periods or, or move between the the Ur cartoon world and like this 1980s uh, pseudo high technology world uh, that is very uh, what just interesting. I mean, like or or um, informative in terms of their ability to to exist in these both of these states at the same time. It's the yeah. junkyard and that transforming car that is completely out of place with the entire rest of the show. They are cats that chase girl cats around and get into fights and yet somehow have this highly technological car that can float and change shape. There's also a brief too. yeah, there's also a brief point in the uh, opening sequence in which Riff Raff and his girlfriend get into a, a bathtub that appears to be have the ability to fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure quite the deal what the deal with that is, but uh, it's something that happens. The junkyard actually reminds me of the uh, the place that the kid lives in Ready Player One. Whoa! Yeah. So it's like yeah, a post-apocalyptic. Stacks. Yeah. So in, in future episodes, I'll keep an eye out for a, you know, a, a, a Cadillac that can fly or something similar because I think you guys are right in the fact that that is the the connective tissue. Well, Cadillacs and dinosaurs are definitely on the list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great comic, I'm sure. Terrible cartoon. So we'll see. Derek mentioned future episodes. Are we going to keep this on the list? Oh, well, let's not. We're not there yet. Oh, Adam still has to lay down the fucking. Oh my God! Law, man. Adam has to. Adam, make it the, short and sweet. I was uh, supposed to go the, to bed like forty-five minutes ago. The oh one. shit! Okay. Bring it okay. home, Mister Trent. So the generational ship, the generation ship, leaves Earth after, uh, or right before the uh, planetoid passes between the moon and planet and Earth, destroying mm-hmm. the Earth. They leave with enough distance to kind of avoid that catastrophe, but they come back to Earth to scrounge up on resources or supplies mm. before they head out to towards New Texas. So they actually basically form a giant garbage scowl from all <laughs> of the material they can get from the Earth, creating this giant junkyard. And in this giant junkyard, they have a few like garbage men or like um, a few homes set up here in order to kind of take care of the the precious scrap metal that they will use to continue to build out the generational ship as time goes along. So what we're seeing right now is the lead up. This is where the scientists would actually discover that there's this mutagenic ooze that's being produced by Void to create this strange uh, human-animal hybrid. And once they, they go back to the garbage scowl, to kind of check in on the small biodome society that's formed there that's all anachronistic in some strange ways and uh, has these like different rules and morals than the rest of the ship have. They're going to discover that there are these cats that are waving around tools and machines that are trying to communicate by pointing to the written word. And they're <laughs> going to say, what the fuck is going on here? They're going to study the cats and then trace it back and realize that they have something they can work with to create a more hardy species of animal that can survive the void of space uh, on this long journey to 
uh, New Texas. So, so, so the the Cadillac Cats and maybe Riff Raff, they are like the scavengers, whereas Heathcliff, his family and his domestic scenario, they are kind of um, are they existing on the earth or are they are they on the garbage scow? unaware of the kind of high technology trade that's happening between the Cadillac cats and earth. No, no, no. They, they're on the garbage scow, but they're like, because they don't seem to have any jobs. They just sort of live there. They're yeah, really yeah. just sort of like living in this town that sort of form on the garbage scow. And they're kind of like the protectors of the scrap. They're like the, the ultimate recyclers. But in the meantime, they have all these old technology that they've been able to cobble together and they've kind of formed this like weird high tech yet in the past type society where uh, things are like on more of a small town type feel, but they still have high tech gadgetry that seems to work pretty well. And they also have like old cars. And that's one of the reasons why the mutations are a little bit more prevalent here within the animals, because this is a garbage scow. They're not worried about shielding it quite as much as they would the rest of the generational ship. It's like attached by like a trailer hitch to the main ship. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I can see, I mean, in a lot of ways that makes sense that Heathcliff is kind of the progenitor of the Muppets. Yeah. Yes. And obviously when the scientists wind up going back to check out the garbage scowl, do like the every 10 year checkup to make sure the humans are still alive that are there, they see these cats and they take them back to the main part of the ship. They dissect them completely. Mm-hmm see what makes them work in, inside they find um a walkman uh a uh <laughs> roller skates <laughs> and uh vr goggles. goggles and headphones exactly <laughs> <laughs> all right adam again a master class <laughs> i would subscribe to that uh teaching class on youtube to learn about <laughs> It's a master something. How, yeah. how insane Adam is in yes. attempting to make everything fit together in some stupid way. Uh, the master class in justification of our uh, insanity? I don't know. What, do you, what is this justification uh, of? I, I still just want to write a book to see how hard we get sued by all these different properties. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, if we just rename everything, it's not... Uh, They're not this Muppets. Is... They're Nuppets. The... Uh, this is Beef Cliff. <laughs> no, this is Heath Bar, the TV Heath, show. Yeah. <laughs> Heath Bar and Beef Cliff. Heath Bar and just Cliff Bar Heath Bar. This yeah. is Heath Bar and Raff Riff. <laughs> <laughs> Those fuckers <laughs> will not sue us. <laughs> Do we want to keep this at, at show on the list? Shits and giggles. I, I'm gonna go hard no. I'm gonna I'm go with no. hard hard no. Yeah. Uh, I I really don't want to personally watch any more episodes, but uh, I think it would be good for the podcast. I am, so we, I am not run, sure that it would be good for the podcast. I mean, we got a lot of juice out of this one. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We. I imagine are, it's gonna be the same each time though, because the biggest thing is like Riff Raff is a horn dog and yeah. Kind of dumb. And Heathcliff, Heathcliff is a mob is a boss. Yeah. A violent mob boss, yeah. Um, I, I, to your point, David, yes, there is, there's juice here. Do, do we want to get rid of this juice because like we're bored with it, or do you think there's enough here to like sustain us? 
Don't we have enough episodes <laughs> of other things that we're not going to really run out? We in do. The foreseeable yeah. future? we have a ton of shit. Yes, we. We, yes, we have seven we more do. different shows involving Spider-Man. So hey, I think we speak for all of us when I say "fuck you, Heathcliff." Yep. I wouldn't say that. I'd he- say "fuck off, Heathcliff." Fuck you, riffraff. <laughs> I agree with you. Good point. Uh, you were great in Withering Heights, a very compelling character. But mm-hmm. when you are a cat, I have less interest. Mike, I, yeah, I, I, I would say, Heathcliff, it's been fun, but I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect Wordsworth. Excellent. <laughs> uh, terrible. That's a keeper. What's up next? All right. Next is what is coming up on future episodes. Woohoo! Future. Future. All right. Let's pull up this spreadsheet. Let's get this action going. Full cartoon list. All right. What do we got? What do we got? We got 200 and... Nine, two hundred eight episodes. So the one thing I would say is, I don't think we are removing episodes from the list that we have disallowed. Oh, gotcha. That's not a problem yet. But uh, tell me what number one, one hundred eighty-two is. One hundred and eighty-two. The Mask, nineteen ninety-five to nineteen ninety-seven. Oh, I got excited for Wait. a second. I was like, Mask. Nope. No, yeah, mask. I would have fought you for mask. Uh. Nope. <laughs> this is the mask. The mask starring Jimothy Carey. Fun. Starring not <laughs> Jimothy Carey. <laughs> Probably Lorenzo Lawrence. Maybe it'll be like the comic. I doubt it, but maybe. Like Crypto made seventy-five episodes of this. Wow. Wow. That means they did more than one season. <laughs> Maybe it's surprising as hell. Or maybe they did one very <laughs> shitty season. What happened to Return of the Planet of the Apes on the episode list? Is that not happening or No, no, no that's that next is. week. That's, that's, uh, that's, oh, that's oh, next week. So we're adding yeah. oh we're adding on to the bottom of the list. I get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah this is on a future episode, not the next episode. Got it. That's a, yeah, I'm usually passed out by this point, so I'm behind <laughs> the curve. Yeah, we know. Yeah. And then if Derek can't do it next week, then we'll do the Spider-Man Unlimited. I should I be good next be, week, yeah. Which means I need to get busy on that. Derek and Michael will be at normal level, and uh, Matt and Adam will be at elevated level. Yay! Yeah. So the name of the episode, episode number 27 for the mask, is Mutiny of the Bounty Hunters. Whoa. Ooh. Literary. Yeah. So I guess I get to uh, tell you... My new idea for what happens when it's Mike's turn. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. All right. Well, hold on, hold on. When would we be recording this? Would it still be January? Is Mike going to be sober? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, That's a big, that is a big question. (laughs) Can you, can you actually do this, Mike? Well, if you remember, I'm not very good drunk and i'm even worse sober i'm just not so here's my idea i'm a witty side character here's my idea let's hear it david we're going to do this episode mike style whoa no one do any research no one watch the episode (laughs) (laughs) 
And we all we do... talk about is how much we want to fuck one of the characters. <laughs> we will do reacts during the recording. Wow. I like this idea. And actually, Mike, I it is do... the 29th, so you will still be in dry January. I... Okay. You have two days left of dry January. Oh, I'll be scratching. I'll be scratching at myself. I'll be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... You got, y'all got any more of that alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> You all got any more of that episode? <laughs> um, that so, sounds terrible. It's going to be improv style where we're just going to off the cuff, just watch the episode and whatever the first thing we think of, we just say it and we just go with it. And um, it could be like the uh, anthology uh, episode of uh, the, the cable TV episode. Yes, I agree, because each of us is as funny as Justin Rowland. This will be cake. <laughs> All of us combined yeah. might be as funny. All of us combined, all of us combined are just a confusing mass of words. <laughs> I mean, all of us combined would be like a Lovecraftian monster that I don't yeah. want to see. Well, look, by our powers combined, we can be something funny. Uh, here's the thing. I, yeah. uh, um, if we all combine, like if our best qualities come together, I'm not interested in that hybrid that has all of our powers. I'm interested in the thing that comes out that is all of our deficiencies combined. <laughs> that is like all of the worst parts of our character combined into this horrible object. Um, Kill me. Kill me. <laughs> like it's the horniest, misogynistest, angriest, pink eyest <laughs> creature. No, we could we could do some research. Uh, it, might, it might be a little no. bit much. Okay, Mike. Yes, you are allowed to do research. <laughs> I will. I will do none. I will. I will live, just verbal vomit into the microphone that entire episode. Let's do it. Nice, Mike. Mike, yep. it, it's role reversal. You do all the research. We try to watch the episode in the fifteen minutes before we start recording. <laughs> yep, it's actually five. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit play when we hit record. It's That's actually how really I'm fun to go it. through and watch it at the same time as you're hearing all this chatter about it. It's gonna be a fucking nightmare to edit. It's gonna be two brothers, <laughs> two brothers, just, uh, just two brothers. David, yeah, fucking genius. I love it. <laughs> all right, let's do sign offs. Yep. I know I've been pushing all you guys. Right. Like I gotta go next week. I should be able to go later. Uh, well, once again. I have been Matt. I'm David. I'm Derek, and I remembered to sign off this time. Uh, I'm Adam. Done. And I'm sober. (laughs) (laughs) Amazingly Terrible is produced by David Marks. Send your emails to monotonouslyterrific at amazinglyterrible.com. Music by Josh Woodward. <laughs>